Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Two Crickets and a Thorn Tree, the smoothest glass of Amaruda for your mind. I'm Nicholas Lorimer, joined as ever by the other half of your hosts, Mr. Gabriel Crosby. <laughs> It's a very deflated greeting from Gabriel there, uh, but I can see that he's uh, he's had a stressful week. Um, As have we so, all. So, yes, yes, indeed. So let us get into the various topics on our mind. Um, should we start with the UK? Just we talked mostly about it last time, but maybe we can just say something briefly about it. No, I think we should get there. Myself. What would you like to start with? Um, just the the. The weather. Isn't it nice? Dude, when that rains. So I don't know how the rest of the country is is, is uh, uh, faring, but when that rain hit yesterday in Johannesburg, it was magnificent. It was beautiful. It was cleansing. I loved it. I walked around in the rain. I got sopping wet, and then I came inside and immediately regretted sopping wet because it's actually not that nice being wet. But still, uh, it feels <laughs> yeah. to me like summer is here and that horrid, dry, hot heat of, of uh, early spring is over. Yeah, I think that's about right. I also di- I didn't go walking around in the rain. Um, I was sort of stuck at the desk. But we went, uh, Lena and I went walking around just after sunset, I suppose. There was a bit of dusk left, but mainly there was this sort of dark misty vibe and the streets were wet and the jacaranda blossoms had fallen onto the pavements and the streets and there were these purple carpets everywhere and the smells oh we just went round and round all oh, these different plants yeah but not just the jacarandas i mean they're parts like linden has um since i first moved here i was quite impressed at the outdoor indoor the sort of gardening vibe on the streets and in their gardens and because like in some of the parks sort of park view parkhurst the people who aggressively take away the pavements from pedestrians yeah that's that's like those kind of monstrous rock gardens that like just rock eat gardens. the pavement completely yeah yes. exactly i'm not into that but here no, there's a lot horrible. of like quite sweet uh you know the pathway always runs in between but there's like plants to your left plants to your right and you're in the small little pathway in between them and Different ones with different smells. It was very, very glorious, and yeah, it is a relief. Hey, it was, it was a, it was a bit of a spattering ultimately compared to. I mean, I started, I drove through the rainstorm from coming back from the Free State, um, from Paris to Johannesburg. Uh, Rian Milan, friend of the show, had just done a beautiful, gracious thing in Paris, and, and I had a nice chat with him. And I was, I was driving back with the storm. So as I crossed the Vaal River, the storm started. So for an hour, I was driving in the storm. And I saw cars. I mean, I saw two accidents. Bring, and brings to mind the, the Doors song, Riders on the Storm. Exactly. Uh, and, it, and they were quite sweet accidents in a way because no one, clearly no one was <laughs> what? Okay. People just, people just like forgot about how there's a slightly different amount of traction control in the rain. So there was one car that had slid off to the right. And it just like ground to a halt. <laughs> and you could see like i i was clearly there like a minute after it had happened because the guy just got out and he was like looking around around and then in the rearview mirror i saw he got back in the car and started and went and went off again like he was fine he just and then the second one was wasn't an accident so much as a truck that broke down at the bottom of a hill as 
sort of going oh. where Soweto starts. So there was, no, a, no. but it was so sweet. There was police there, and they were so excited. And there was a tree that fell down on the side of the highway on the southbound side. So I wasn't involved. And like three police cars there, and the police were like looking at the tree, and it was in the way of the road. That, that perhaps explains your positive at- attitude towards the fallen tree because it was not blocking your way. <laughs> yes, I oh, know. I mean, there was clearly a miserable amount of incompetence, and people were going to be stuck for like an hour or two because a couple of people couldn't. Anyway, but you know, I yeah, compared to death and disaster. Um, no, it was very good. I suppose I, 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 and yeah, yay for the. I, the I actually wrote. Um, we didn't talk about this before the show, but I actually have written, and it's been coming out on the Daily Friends tomorrow. Just a, a fairly light-hearted, quite sort of silly piece, just about how I'm when it comes to government and tech systems. I'm a little bit of a technophobe, um, and I point to, uh, and I, I and I think it's just merely trauma from having to interact with the state through technological means all over the place. So. System um, is down, should... dude. Once there's a system, yes, yes that is. So I, that was that was that was what I sort of start the piece with. I say, you know, we have this terrible. We really have a really bad combination when we have government and tech systems together in so in this country, in particular. Um, and uh, I, the, you know, the, uh, of course, the funniest thing about the smart cities idea was the fact that we don't have electricity. But the second yes. funniest thing <laughs> was the fact that you would get on the bullet train to go to work and be told system is down, yeah. or you'd uh, you'd you'd fire Ooh. up um, you'd fire up your your online account, the the tool that you use to interact with the city in this magnificent smart city, uh, and there would be a message that would pop up and say warning: you require Internet Explorer version four or later in order to use this. Mm. <laughs> I believe Internet Explorer four came out in about. 2000 something like that and i'm, I'm not joking that is I, I can't remember which which um <laughs> yeah, sort of concurrent with windows 98 <laughs> i i can't remember precisely which uh, uh uh website it was but but back when i was a counselor i did use a government website that was a powerful online tool and yet it was terrible because it did literally it was built in like the early 2000s and no one had bothered to update anything on it since and it was awful um, Dude, so i can't basically, tell you yeah i can't tell you which uh uh province this was in but somewhere along the line a police officer let me look on the screen like when you look people up on the police system yes yes wow dude the most amazing thing is you know how every <laughs> You know how every year, like you, you actually drew my attention to this. Like around the ANC, there's a little coterie of parties that are like A, NNC, and yeah, and of course AIC, most successful. Yeah. So, so they're these parties that kind of just survive on the basis of the fact that if, like, if 12 million people or 10 million people are trying to vote for the ANC, and 0.1 percent of them miss. That's sort of enough to get a seat in Parliament. <laughs> so the thing is, the miss rate on the police docket, like if you search someone by ID number or by name or by surname, like you have to search by different things because you search the ID number. And then if you go through the, the full person's background, you can easily find like one or two complaints, like criminal convictions against them or like, 
you know, oh, this put like complaints that they've laid, cases that are ongoing, where if you click on the thing and then look at the name, it's like a completely different name, different gender, obviously different whatever. Because, <laughs> because their ID number is different by one digit. And likewise, if you go by the name, if you just search by like the full name and surname, you'll find like lots, but you'll find that you're missing some because sometimes they misspell the name. And also some other people will be included because their names are misspelled. So I've made it like this. So like, I mean, I did this looking up. I've looked up a few, quite a few people. And every single time on the name, the surname, the ID number. And if you go by case number, also indexing by police department, you can also get this thing. Like all of them had issues. So it's much worse, like as bad as the, as good or bad as the voter is. It's another classic example of like, Dude, the voters are yes. the best. The common dude, not perfect, definitely not perfect, 0.1% miss rate. That's much, much better than the average police officer's miss rate, which I think is like like 5% so misses, I've, maybe 10%. I've had misses. to do quite a lot of admin recently, and I discovered that upon some of my parents' most important, precious like identity documents, birth certificates, things like that, that there is a completely incorrect number, like a date of birth is off by like three years or something. <laughs> yeah. just... Like seven and four kind of could look the same, maybe. Apparently. <laughs> um, I, I, I sort of, I sort of guarded this piece to just describe also, you know, that I bring up some examples of things that are like, you know, times that government has spent. So for example, Etiquini municipality um, took 13 years to set up their uh, citizen portal reg- revenue management system. And it went 666%, an ominous number, over budget, <laughs> which is uh, quite spectacular. And then on top of that, have you ever noticed how every single government website kind of looks the same? doesn't matter which department you go to. Health is a little bit different because they revamped it a bit, I think, with COVID. But you always get a very old-looking web page with the picture of the minister plastered front and center like it's the most important thing. And then there's lots of squashed JPEGs around the page, uh, which advertise events in in like a Women's Day event that happened three months ago or something like that. <laughs> They're quite. Um, I'm 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 impressed in the uniformity of the kind of incompetence. It's mm. it's quite spectacular to me. Mm. Uh, but my favorite of all was. Um, the banner I saw on a Gauteng provincial website when I was doing the research for this article, which uh, simply read, place creative image here. <laughs> so, <laughs> I wonder how long that's been there. Anyway, uh, uh, our uh, silliness, the silliness that is is our government aside, um, do you perhaps want to move on to the silliness that is the UK now, now that we've... no talked about the weather no i thought the next thing to talk about would be discam oh okay i didn't think we okay no go go ahead go ahead so discam because these this audience hasn't uh, necessarily anyway just no, no, fair week, enough, fair it's enough. a sentence yeah. um you know last week discam said no white hires i think we i had already come across that before we did our last episode so maybe we mentioned it i don't think so no i don't think anyway, we did, I don't think we did. Kind of, I suppose, I mean, maybe what I want to talk about is Monday, I went to the Africa Afrikaner um, Initiative Conference. 
which is hosted by, I mean, it's sort of Chris Prinsler, who told me how he was sitting in Tanzania or Uganda. Um, is it bad that I confuse those? Wait, well, they Zambia? are to each other. Zambia is no, the one okay, that's got on. Hichilema, good yeah. president. Zambia is Zambia is the former British colony that has Hichilema. Tanzania is the one that had that like centralizing socialist regime that has Zanzibar in it, uh, mm-hmm. the, off the coast of it. That was mm-hmm. a German colony that got captured by the Brits. And Uganda is the one with Idi Amin. Delish. Idi Amin, and Bobby Wine, famous... he's the, the fancy new opposition candidate who is always getting beaten up or arrested by the president in Uganda. Yes. I wish you could Although, see Nicholas's hand gestures while he did that. <laughs> very Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, I must say that uh, I don't know that much about Bobby Wine. I'm The, the most I know about him is talking to an Uber uh, driver, delivery driver who had a Bobby Wine poster on the back mm. of his motorbike. Mm. Um, but I'm not a fan ever since I saw him mugging for the camera with Julius Malema. Uh, yes. Yeah, and ever since then, I've been like, yeah, you know. Mm. I wonder. I wonder how. Anyway, so, I mean, I think this was Tanzania, which is sort of an implausible one, but there it is. He's, like, hanging out with Mbeki and F.W. de Klerk and having a chat sort of about the future of the country. And I think this is after both weren't president anymore, but it's over 10 years ago, like early Zuma era. And anyway, so... And one of the sort of the, the I would say the um, maitre d that's definitely the wrong word. The host, what do you call the the, the master of ceremonies? That MC, still makes it sound that still makes it sound too much like uh, like a fun like a like the Emmys. Anyway, the MC was Thiens Elof, who I've got a hell of a lot of respect for. He was the former head of the FW de Kirk Foundation, and I've always enjoyed reading what he writes on politics web for many years. And I don't know. I just want to go through the, through, through the other people who were there. I was there to sort of make a speech in the morning and sit on a panel and take some questions. And I was the youngest sort of participant. I was it say, a nice wooden panel? Or? Probably by 20 years. Ha, ha, ha. Nick's got the pranks. So, so who else is there? I, so I was sitting next to uh, Professor Lucky Matibula, um, who, who's like you been paid much money, much much money for polling? Am I not allowed to say that? Okay, well, sue me, dude. He he told me how expensive polling is and how he'd been commissioned to do some polling. So. <laughs> Nicholas is no, laughing at me. <laughs> no, no, then I was, I next... was laughing at my stupid pun that you didn't hear, but that's fine. Uh, okay, was it better than wooden panel? What, what I must Yes, I said I said you were lucky to be sitting next to it. <laughs> oh goodness. It's gonna be an extremely long afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and you were hoping to get out of here early so you could go to the bank. <laughs> oh my word, I'm done. I'm WhatsApping right now. I'm stuck. <laughs> Yeah, so next to next to uh, Lucky was Roger Southall, Professor Roger Southall, that's lefty sociologist who is allegedly one of the main instigators in getting a hundred people or so to sign a letter to denounce the Institute of Race Relations as indeed uh, ra- racist and right wing and evil for 
defending gun rights when the government was trying to say you're not allowed to have a gun even for self-defense. I still find that an interesting one because I've said this to like a couple of people at a party and I still see some people be like, oh, but hold on. Shouldn't the government maybe be allowed to do that? <laughs> you know, it's like because I come from such an anti-gun household. Yes. Yes. Um, anyway. Okay. So well, there's Roger yeah, Southall. No. That, that's born of the of the worldview that you can abolish firearms, essentially. Well, Russovians we are everywhere. Did it, there's that a we lot can of all be Japan. Think, we can all be heaven on earth, man. Mm, uh, mm. Yeah. So then there's, uh, by the way, in the meanwhile, a friend of mine's in Israel, sends his mom um, a little clip about, he's like, anyway, uh, the room suddenly goes quiet. There's screaming, piercing the silence. Everyone drops on the floor, excepting a couple of dudes in camo. They start shooting at a doorway over there. They run to the doorway. They shoot through the doorway. They stop. They turn back to the crowd. The camera pans. Everyone's like crouched down. They get up and they burst into applause. What is this? This is Israel, like at a shooting range. Every now and then they do a little drill. Like what if some terrorists bust up in here with some AK-47s and all the women and children had to lie down on the ground, and the on the armed dudes had to go shoot them through the door. <laughs> oh, it was man. it was That's, a very yeah, otherworldly. <laughs> anyway, there's like little children. They're obviously shooting blanks, or they're shooting in the other direction. And anyway, funny kind of drill. Definitely not the kind of thing we do here. Point is, there's uh, there's Roger Southall who has written a letter to say the Institute of Race Relations should uh, stop existing. Uh, and me sitting at the same table um, and uh, getting along very nicely. I try to be as polite as I could. In fact, I find it very easy to be polite to that guy because he's just. I think. Dude. I think. I think Roger. I'm correct in saying was at um, John Ken Berman's funeral, and uh, he did actually chat to some of us there as well. I think could very well be very very civilized fellow. Um, and Muletti and Becky was there. Hero, uh, intellectual, certainly important influence on me. Um, Kali Creel, head of AfriForum, Flipbase, head of Solidarity, um, and so on and so forth. So, like a very, like quite a wide ranging group of people. Uh, An eclectic mix of people outside the ANC EFF. Yeah, yeah. And and we were there to talk about and Vainant uh, Halkhart, the head of the Corps of Forum. Uh, he came up to me and he sort of congratulated me on making mischief or something like that. So I was, I was very glad. Um, it was it was such a it was an interesting it was an interesting sort of day because I was sitting there trying to grapple with the disc game issue, uh, trying to get you know building a campaign page, putting up a petition site. We've like you know I think we got like. I don't want to say how many thousand, but many, many thousand signatures just that day and the next day. Uh, so it was very important to get it out quickly because we, I'm, my feeling as soon as that thing was verified was that we need to build public pressure to go through DISCIM to Minister Tullis and Clancy and to President Ramaphosa to say, right. you guys this are is, pushing laws. This is what the are, race law looks like when yeah. it happens. This is the awful, socially destructive, torturous, miserable silliness 
that it yeah. actually results in. Yeah. But at the same time that I'm trying to like write this stuff and get it out and like trying to apply some pressure, I'm like surrounded by very interesting people. Um, you know, and I'm weirdly in this room where most people already know me. Like like people that have that I've never like are saying hello, Gabriel, shake my hand, good to meet you, whatever. Like, which is really very a strange feeling and very sweet. Yesterday, by the way, when I was jogging through the rain, walking through the lane with Elena, some dude at, at the petrol station saw us. He was like, hey, 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 he's from YouTube. He was like pointing at his girlfriend. <laughs> he's from YouTube. <laughs> and I turn around. He's like, hey, you're from YouTube. Anyway, we've had this. But so it was it was a fascinating day to me to, to see how the, the thing that I really liked about it, I've been to quite a few of these kinds of conferences civil society conferences government conferences the south african cultural observatory i went to the first uh, three or four annual government cultural conferences with ministers and deputy ministers i went to the land conferences on expropriation without compensation both of them in the cape town hotel and the pretoria hotel with Kamini zuma and whatnot and and i've been to a couple of civil society ones very not overlapping with this sort of um kind of group also, by the way, Pete Krokamp was there, who some people might know, kind of uh, Afrikaans dude with a do-rag, who wrote like a 14-page piece in Die Freie Werkblatt denouncing me uh, <laughs> today. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, I was thinking, where do I remember that name? Ah! Oh! <laughs> so he's like, he's, uh, anyway, it was very civilized. I was very nice to him. We had a chat. He, Dude, there was one point we had to run away to the bathroom. We were talking about expropriation without compensation. It's like, how can you say there's going to be expropriation without compensation? You, it's, it's nonsense. It's nonsense. They're never going to take anyone's farm. It's just like uh, unutilized municipal land or something. And like, I talked about this and I talked about that just for a minute. And then he was like, wait. He's like, wait, are you saying you can't tell the difference between nil compensation and no compensation or nil compensation and without compensation? And I was like, and then I laughed and I was like, okay. We definitely, um, I see where you're coming from. I have to go now. And as I was walking out to the toilet, I just heard him shouting after me. I can't believe it. He doesn't know the difference between no compensation and without compensation. <laughs> oh, boy. It's like, okay, well, now I need to go, go to the loo. Anyway, so <laughs> what a day. Wash my hands, rinse my hands, <laughs> some silliness. <laughs> but, but the thing is, the, the the amazing thing to me, and they were and they were like, I, I felt quite intense. There was some woman who stood up and said, "I'm proud to be a white woman," which I have never seen in a room that I'm in with a camera. Like, I can count on one hand the number of times I've been in the presence of white people who claim to be proud of their oh God, of their race. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's even not, even even when you meet people who are, it's very important to them that they're white, they usually don't say it. They usually are kind of a bit like, yeah, you know. So that is weird. Yeah, no, it's 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 very unusual. And of course, she did the same thing that every all five of the people that I've ever heard saying that did, which is to say, I'm proud of being white. Other people are proud to be black, so why can't I be proud to be white? And people are making me ashamed to be white, so why can't I be proud to be white? It's like, why can't you just be neither? Category error, neither proud nor ashamed of how many stars there are in the sky or how many grains of sand there are on the beach. Not relevant to my pride or shame. Anyway, I, I, do, I do get it. When people are unhappy in life and when they feel impinged upon, 
you look for a team and uh it's it's well a, this is this is this is the point right is that be is sometimes sold as a way to uh heal society and this is a great example of how um when it gets very super aggressive like this it yeah. really people it stops healing uh, i mean if it ever does it at all and it just you know makes people angry they retreat into their little loggers Lagos, <laughs> almost literally. <laughs> <laughs> so close to literally accepting. And so this is the thing. So like, dude, I mean, there was some, I'm just trying to say there was some outrageously foolish things being said there. My favorite, anyway, if you want, we can talk a little bit about that. But my, but the, but the headline finding, and dude, it honestly brought a tear to my eye. I, I am such a child. I'm still so young. I've got to, just one of the reasons I've got to leave this country is I still, I still care. And clearly, it's just very clear to me that mental sanity and caring and being in South Africa about South Africa don't all go together. Um, but at the start of the day, at like 10 in the morning, when I made, dude, every, every last speaker said some version of we need to agree to disagree. Find abandoned common values. Let's go for common interests. Find narrow points of common interest and work on that. That is the opposite. Every other conference I've been to goes one of two ways. Either it's like, Hannah, 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 uh, uh, Marxist, race, nationalist nonsense. And then someone stands up and they say, I can't believe you guys are saying we need more land to go into the hands of the government. Let me tell you about how corrupt the government is. And it's a white dude who's saying how corrupt the government is and it can't manage agricultural, it can't manage farms very well. And, you know, it's just about eating the money. And then you get five politicians in a row saying, oh, my word, how dare you criticize us? Do you know how much worse apartheid was? Let me tell you about my granny was a domestic worker. My father was a gardener. That's why I'm a communist. These, my auntie was killed by the gnats. My uncle was mauled by dogs coming out of Casper's. Children were killed in Soweto in 76. Miners were killed in shop. You know, there's just this litany of, of true uh, stories connected to pain that is more or less true. To, I don't know. The measurements of pain. I'm a real connoisseur, but I don't want to get, you know, I don't know. I'm probably not. not always. Um, you go through this thing and then you go back to um, a kind of religious idea of salvation will come and grief is upon us and unity is what we need. and Practical talk is just kind of goes out the window because they can't pretend away the fact that the government has been terribly corrupt and your bees backfiring on most poor black people and uh, expropriation without compensation would be even worse, etc. So they you can't get back onto the practical talk thing, um, but also you can't get off of the pain thing. So it's just unity, unity, unity. One day we need unity, and there's this terrible pretense that that like you know. This room, we need to start getting along as South Africans. We need to start asking each other how we feel. We need to start. <laughs> and this is the room in which we will begin. This is the seed oh. from which unity across the nation. This is where the rainbow nation begins, guys. It's born in this Dude, room by all of us clever clogs. As a thespian, I think one of the reasons that I'm a better analyst, and I think I am a better analyst of South African politics than most other analysts, is because I love the theater. And because I know as a theater lover what it is like night after night for two weeks to stand up and be Eugene and Yegan and go through the same emotional arc. Oh, there's this woman. Oh, what a stranger. I wonder what she's about. Oh, she's pretty hot. Oh, she's kind of crazy. I guess I'll stay away from her. Oh, she's really hot. Oh, I guess I'll, I'll go for her. 
Oh, I got to kill my friend. Oh, that makes me very sad. Oh, now I'm going to be happy again. Night after night, crying, laughing, going the whole emotional roller coaster. Actors, all about it. All about suspension of disbelief. And politicians in this country, you know, beggars in this country are actors. Not all of them. Some of them are just authentically where they are. But a lot of beggars and a lot of my favorite beggars, they're there to tell a joke or tell a story or do a little routine right. or do a little You've got to hustle to stand out from the crowd. Yeah. And same for politicians. And the harder you feel those feels when you feel them, the, 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 that's your basic value add. You can pretend once again that this is the first time we've ever come across the idea of unity. Oh, dude, I'm very anti-unity. I've, I, there are some, I kind of do feel in a sense, like I introduced it to the thing by saying, you know, look, we, we should not all agree about whether the government should get bigger or smaller. There should always be a left wing and a right wing in that sense. Um, but anyway, by the end of the day, everyone said some version of let's, let's agree to disagree on, you know, Kali Creel said, you know, Vainant wants race quotas in sport. I don't want race quotas in sport, but we, what we both want is the streets of the Cape Flats to be safe. So let's work on that. Uh, this black businessman who said like his daily lived experience is about suffering the slings and arrows of white uh, nasty looks uh, sort of stood up and said, okay, you know, I've, I've, there's a lot of Afrikaans people I don't really like but um, that are white, but I'm really happy that uh, Afri Forum has been taking on these cases of poor black people that are getting victimized by the government uh, because law and order is something that we all benefit by. And so I'm going I'm to stand with them insofar as they're doing that. And it, it, it moved me to hear this repression of expectations, saying don't hope for too much. Don't think we're all going to get along. Don't think it's all going to be heaven tomorrow. And do try and find common points of interest that we can practically organize around. Because I'd never heard that before. And that's exactly what we at mm. IRR have been talking about being very important for 2024. ACGP is a super Christian party. France Front Plus is a super um, language and culture and maybe even ethnicity kind of focused party. The DA is extremely rainbow. It's the rainbowest thing that there is. Not very sexy in that sense to, to like a lot of different kinds of people. Um, the Musi Mai Mani's party has got terrible DA, beef. DA is the party for nerds. DA is the party for nerds. Action SA and the DA are never going to get along because someone's, you know, John's DNA is in step with Michael Beaumont's wife or something like that. I don't know what the story is. But, you know, there's, <laughs> you know, we're, they're not going to have common values. There's a certain level at which these people, unity is. <laughs> unity. I mean, give it up. We've, we've got mm. unity insofar as we need it. We're one country. Let's hold on to that unity. I'm very much against the secessionist. But like... Uh, well, talking about just... unity doesn't particularly make people united or sort of... I, I, I've long thought that, um, and, and I've written to this effect before, that crime is weirdly one of those things that really does actually, I think, unite more than it divides. It does divide a bit. But sometimes people, when they get robbed abused they only see the race of the person who did it to them and they say oh it must be everyone of that race yeah but in the in the by and large south africans all have that shared experience of dealing with crime together being traumatized by crime together having to like make a plan because crime is doing something in your community i mean that's the only thing that can bring suburbanites out of their sheltered holes 
yes. uh, to, to actually talk to each in other fact, and realize yeah. how multiracial their own suburbs are <laughs> when everyone comes yeah. out to talk about how awful crime is. When, when I was last at your house, correct me if I'm wrong and tell me to shut up if I'm saying the wrong kind of thing. We were, we were leaving to go somewhere, but we had to stop because your neighbors had just been robbed the previous day yes. or the day before over the road. And yeah. they were getting, they were installing a new thing or something. We were waiting at the gate, so we kind of struck up a conversation. And then, like, there was this long conversation. And then afterwards, as we were going away, I don't know if it was you or your father, were like, I don't know that I've ever spoken to those people before. Yeah, no, no, seriously, seriously. <laughs> uh, like, at my But you're last, getting along so last, well. <laughs> the last place I lived, I met every single one of my neighbors in the surrounding, like, five streets because of a initiative to get everyone together to like hire a street security guard. And I found mm. out, for example, that uh, the state Herald lived on my road. <laughs> Who is what is, is the state Herald a person? Is that the town he's the guy, for the whole country? He looks, he looks after the flag. So if we need to redesign a flag or something like that, he's the guy who will do it. Awesome. Uh, which is great, you know. That's really cool, and he's also yeah. almost an ANC, uh, ANC guy, ANC deploy, and yet yeah. we were completely united over the fact that we need someone yeah. to walk up and down the street with a gun at night to stop us getting yeah. murdered and robbed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that story repeats a thousand times over. Yeah. You know, uh, my father got robbed recently, or at least there was attempted robbing of him when he was doing a DA thing in Soweto. Yeah. And people, there was an old man, old black man in a bucky behind him trying to like drive over the guy trying to snatch his phone with his bucky. <laughs> and, you know, this is the thing. South Africans, we, we all no, know. Dude, we're in it together. When that happens, <laughs> yeah, that, we really... When the crime happens, that yeah. it doesn't matter who you're talking to or what's going on, you, you go out there and you do your part. Yeah. And I think that that's a beautiful thing, actually. Yeah. It's perverse because it's born of this like difficult situation all the murders Tragedy, and the crime and the violence. yeah everyone knows someone who's been murdered exactly and yet at the same time uh it's actually wonderful to see the way that everyone just drops all of these like pantomime pretenses and silliness mm. that we that we often get on with in our mm. uh sort of normal lives and then just to like no no this, that's another south african another law-abiding person they're in trouble and they need help mm. Anyway, yeah, man, sorry. it's good. Um, you see, like yeah, yeah, here's me no, talking. I'm getting no, famously exactly... close to unity. <laughs> no, but no, but it's precisely not because you're saying it's about a particular issue at a particular time with a particular purpose. Did that is it? That is where, I mean, I, my my reading of classical liberalism is, or the, you know, this is this is why I think I once read out that poem about. Uh, you know, what happens if you try and dig too deeply into other people's motivations, um, uh, you, you end up getting in trouble. You end up, uh, uh, classical liberalism in, in a certain sense, uh, begins around the end of the religious wars, the hundred years of the 30 years war, etc. Um, in right, Europe, the, the mess that was a reformation. Yeah. After the reformation and, and sort of beyond the worst parts of the counter-reformation with the thought that like, okay, here's the biggest deal in the world. Your deepest belief is like, you're going to go to heaven or hell and all of right and wrong comes from a particular religion. And there's a particular right way of interpreting that. And there's a wrong way of interpreting that. And people interpret it wrongly. They're going to go to hell for all eternity. And if they interpret it rightly, they're going to get, 
the stakes couldn't be higher. And what do we do? Well, of course, if there's a government, if there's, a, if there's some kind of monopoly on force, we should use that force in order to bring about the best possible result. Of course, of course, that's what we should do. Come on. Right. And that means and that we need to make blood. sure that everyone's soul is saved by interpreting With their guns. Bible correctly. Oh, wait, they don't have guns. With swords. Oh, wait, they invented guns in they, order they do. to do this. Yeah, they do. They do have guns, but they're like, they're like, if you need a match to shoot the gun. Did we will we will shoot you we will cannon you we will pour actual boiling tar on you we will stab you we will poke you with sticks anything to or save your soul or is do you, do you know specifically what started the 30 years war uh tell me some protestant czech nobles were very upset at the impotent demands of this ridiculous demands of the catholic um emperor uh of austria who was technically their king as well as being the emperor of austria and so uh, his officials came to negotiate with them and they decided to throw them out of a window. And they basically said, ah, if your view of religion is so the good, defenestration of Paul, Prague, yes. the second defenestration oh, of Prague. Exactly, exactly. The, the first uh, one went quite differently. <laughs> the first one, there were spears below. But one of the guys who was defenestrated actually survived. He was then subsequently, I think, executed, but still. <laughs> so literally throwing people out of windows in order to to make sure they had the right view on religion. So, yeah, I mean, can I just quickly, can I dash through this poem? Because this is, this is six humans trapped by happenstance in bleak and bitter cold. Each one possessed a stick of wood, or so the story's told. Their dying fire in need of logs, the first man held his back for of the faces round the fire, he noticed one was black. Holla racist! Stupid racist! The next man, looking across the way, saw one not of his church and couldn't bring himself to give the fire stick his stick of birch. Sectarian idiot! The third one sat in tattered clothes. He gave his coat a hitch. Why should he put... His log to use to warm the idle rich. One should really do that stanza in a Bernie Sanders voice. The third one sat in padded clothes. He gave his coat a hitch. Why to, should learn, his to warm the idle rich. To warm the it's idle not rich. good. It's the not whole good. developed world. The whole developed world. They all, they all know how to deal with the idle rich, except us. What's wrong except with this us. country? One percent of the country has 90% of the wood. Why should the 90% of the country put any of their wood in the fire? It's not fair. Let's all die. Just die of the cold. It's better. <laughs> the rich man, the rich man just sat back and thought of the wealth he had in store and how to keep what he had earned from the lazy, shiftless poor. The black man's face... <clears throat> How did, American. The black man's face bespoke revenge as the fire passed from his sight. For all he saw in his stick of wood was a chance to spite the white. Amen, spite in the white. The last man of this forlorn group did not accept for gain. Giving only to those who gave was how he played the game. Their logs held tight in death's still hands was proof of human sin. They didn't die from the cold without. They died from the cold within. What I like about that poem 
is that it's like, dude, this is this is the heart of classical liberalism. If you want to do good in the name of Allah, and the other guy wants to do good in the name of Yahweh, but you're both not prepared to do the good unless each one does it in the name of the same God, then (coughs) everyone dies of cold. So classical liberalism says the state shouldn't get pick one side. And also when we meet in the public square, don't meet on the basis of common values. Meet on the basis of common interests. Have a goal in mind. You both want to do the same. Leave your leave your money and your genitals and your motivations <coughs> behind a curtain, in your pockets, under your skirts, wherever they need to go, out of sight, um, for the most part. That is that's the core, and that's why hypocrisy and so on are, are things you need to be. We all need to be quite careful of. You know, there's definitely a bad kind, but there's something about. There's something about make-believe and suspension of disbelief and sort of just like getting along even though you know you don't share values. That, 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 that's, that's super important. And it was wonderful for me to see the conference just end very explicitly on that note, on this note of like, dude, I know your values are different. I know that if you put this log in the fire, it's going to be for, a, for you know, you want to do it to help colored people alone. And I want to do it to help white people alone. And the other guy wants to do tell black people alone. And Gabriel's there to try and do it for the sake of, you know, common humanity uh, and South African citizenship. And and most people are, are the, you know, some people are there because they love the Afrikaans language more than anything, whether it's black, white, or brown who speaks it. Tell it. Remember, you know, it, it, a lot of people had a lot of different reasons. There's Christians there. There were Hindus there. There was, dude, there was one lady who, there, who just, like, Gave a 10-minute speech. She was so furious after one of the tea breaks. <coughs> the NCAA was like, okay, sorry. One of the <coughs> people in the audience came to complain to me that she didn't get the microphone when it went around the last time. So we're giving her the microphone. Dude, she gave 10 minutes saying, I don't care what else you guys do. I don't care if you like <clears throat> save a 1,000 lives, hand out food to the poor while they're dying in the streets, save people from the floods. <coughs> you can't vote for the ANC. Whatever you do, don't vote for the ANC. Amen. <laughs> and she was like an ANC stalwart. And it was like just one of those, just another divorce from the ANC. But like with a bitterness of like someone who's, the divorce is still fresh. <laughs> anyway, but then like clearly, if like 10 minutes later, she and someone else who also said the last thing you can do is vote for the ANC. We're fighting with each other about like all other kinds of things. And they're like, okay, as long as you don't for the ANC, you know, we've got something we can do together. Anyway, it sort of made my week to to have a bit of that. Also, it made my week, I must say, <coughs> there was a small error um, on the Daily Friend, and I reached out to the journalist because I didn't know if it was an error or not. And I asked him, what did you – did you mean what you said? <coughs> and he was like, no, dude, here's the facts. I thought maybe there's something I don't know. And just the immediate prompt response and, like, uh, uh, interest in, in changing things for the better on his side – um, was like was refreshing to me um, because again it just sort of like <coughs> sorry I'm coughing I, I don't know I think it's the little things that we can get along with and it's practical things and it's and and uh, there's a kind of humility in that a kind of resignation of perfection of always being right of of being part of a universal value set that everyone also agrees with all of the time in every which way kind of perfectionism. 
which I think kind of is, is sort of if like the, the, the theme that I kind of wanted to broach today was pure Puritanism. Uh, but we might <laughs> next face is screaming joy. <laughs> so shall we finally move on to the UK? <laughs> No, let's do Puritanism and then we can talk about the UK. Then you can tell us everything. <laughs> I just want to, all I want to do is talk about the letters, Gabriel. <laughs> I know, Nick, we're going to get to the letters. <laughs> the letters is <laughs> the best thing to happen all year. <laughs> okay. When you say Puritanism, so Puritanism, there is actually a historical meaning of it. And it was about a very specific religious sect of the Church of England that mm-hmm. popped up in the US. But you mean mm-hmm. it in the more general sense? I don't know. Sometimes I've heard it said, and it's a cheap line, but maybe there's more than two grains of truth in it, <coughs> that, you know, Australia got the convicts. And... Uh, I don't know. Do they say South Africa? South Africa got the gold diggers or something? Um Certainly, Australia got the convicts and the US got the We've definitely got the cowboys. And the US got the Puritans. And that you can still see something about US culture that is... That reflects that esteemed teams. You know, something has transmogrified. The name has changed and so on. But there's something about... Yeah, no, Americans can be a bit weird about some things sometimes. This is encapsulated best in the... Uh, early 2000s comedy movie Eurotrip, where one of the characters makes an impassioned... He, he, the reason he's traveling to Europe from America is because he wishes to sleep with many European women, and his justification for this is that as a descendant of European settlers who were all prudes, he has been denied his birthright to exciting sexual adventures in Europe. And this is why he's on the trip. And he describes America as a country founded by prudes. Right. I mean, I think that's rehearsing the story, but it's kind of undermining the point <clears throat> in the sense that I think there's a lot of slutty American behavior. Dudes, slutty dudes. I was I was an American slutty dude myself when I was there as a university student. <clears throat> One of many, I'm sure. Um, I don't know. Okay, so I think that the, 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 Purit- the Puritan thought that I have is this. I think that fallism is is one step short of puritanism. That really, the, that really, puritanism is the is the right. common. Impulse. It's a kind of <clears throat> political puritan uh, political puritanism. It's a desire to wipe the slate clean, right? That's right. Uh, from the ashes, we shall build the new utopia. But first, we need the ashes. <laughs> what? No, okay. So, but that's the difference, right? So, so I think fallism is <clears throat> obviously overtly about dismantling objects whose initial creation had a meaning in mind, a, a sort of <clears throat> so that each ob- object had a dominant significance. Um, the statue of Cecil John Rhodes's initial main significance was to say. Look at this great dude. The Fuhr Trekker Monument's original main mission was perhaps to say, look at how awesome white Afrikaners are. <coughs> Sorry. And as time goes by, something makes that original meaning seem terrible. And you've got two options. 
terrible to most people. You've got two options. One thing is you can sort of say, well, same object, but new dominant meaning. And the other thing you can say is, no, the original meaning is stuck to the object and it's a bad meaning. So we need to dismantle the object in order to extinguish the meaning or spare ourselves from having to revisit it. <clears throat> and that's fallism in a nutshell, I suppose. And at least on the aesthetic side. And then you you duplicate that in you know, mentions of Isaac Newton when it comes to F equals MA and mentions of Einstein when it comes to E equals MC squared. So we've got to start excising these names from the textbook so that you don't have to remember that <clears throat> so many dead white men were involved. And then it's like, well, okay, once you've done that, maybe you should also start changing the formulas because maybe the formulas themselves encode in the same way that the statue might encode a white supremacist meaning, even if it's not entirely obvious, the formula might encode a white supremacist meaning. Change the formula, have a different formula. You end up dismantling a kind of intellectual architecture or an intellectual monument and, and rebuilding that from scratch. But that's the one side of it. The other side of it is, is electing not to build. The Puritan impulse is sort of impulse in <clears throat> interior design to minimalism. Let's, let's not actually put a painting on the wall. Let's not take this painting down and put another one up. Let's take this down and have nothing replace it. Let's kind of try and have no furniture. Let's Right. Yeah. <clears throat> the church must be barren because it is not a place for vanity. It's a place for prayer and reflection. Yeah. And, and I so... think in every religion, you you in, in all of the religions, like in Christianity, in the wars, the iconoclastic wars, that you know, those who want no graven images and those who are like, dude, beautiful stuff is what's going to bring people to the church and that'll bring them closer to God. In Dara Islam. This also, this also was a big problem in the Eastern Orthodox Church as well. There was an iconoclastic split in the 10th, 9th century, 10th century, somewhere around there, uh, when the empire was riven in two by those who believed that the church should maintain its icons and those who believed that the icons should be smashed because it is an insult to have graven images. In, 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 in a sort of, what I don't call it a Farsi caliphate, early, early high days, Ottoman Empire, you have this sort of pattern described by Bernard Lewis of like, you know, father to son, one guy's like more sympathetic towards the <clears throat> pretty stuff. And then, the, and then the son's like more hardline, you know, uh, break it and burn it. And then the next, you know, the next generation comes back again. So the pendulum sort of swings between, mm. um, as I heard someone describe it, kind of a, a a late Baroque Rococo, you know, granny's apartment where there's just like <laughs> wallpaper and with colorful designs and birds and flowers and pretty things and, you know, a million little bit of brick, bits of bric-a-brac and, you know, like a thousand objets d'art in every room to kind of manifest humanity and put distance between you and oblivion or the wilderness or, or or loneliness to to really accrete and gather like like barnacles on the ship, uh, mementos of the journey, like stickers on your bag or your guitar case as you go around the world. And on the other hand, this sort of impulse to be clean and and like yeah, I mean, someone is saying like, well, Buddhism isn't that all about being clean? Yeah, it's true that there are some you can easily trick yourself. Judaism definitely uh, has. <clears throat> for most of its history, for most of its instantiations, leaned more towards the, the, the sort of less is more side in terms of uh, visual images. But it's like, well, go, I don't know if that holds for going into the average Jewish household, that it's like not going to have lots of stuff. 
of a non-religious kind. Um, Buddhism, you know, some some monasteries, in a way, they're so well positioned, and there are okay. So it's like there's no paintings on the wall, but then the wood the wall is made out of has been carved. Every single inch of it, every single square centimeter of it, has been carved in with some kind of pattern. The 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 impulse to leave a mark <clears throat> and the impulse to erase. Both constantly compete. Can I, can I give you, sorry, this is a slight yeah. tangent, but my favorite yeah. example of the desire to add an impulse. No, no, fair enough. My favorite example of the impulse to leave a, a mark, there is in the Hagia Sophia, um, which is nowadays a mosque slash museum in mm. Istanbul, once the greatest church in all of Christianity, and then one of the greatest mosques. Constantinople, if it Indeed. There are some Viking ruins on one of the columns and then historians looked at it and they, what could this possibly be what what message was imparted here by one of the many peoples of the world who traveled through here and there was a viking bodyguard of one of the eastern roman emperors who wrote them his who wrote the following half dan was here yeah dude i remember this it's so good, <laughs> <laughs> so good. What else? I mean, he said it. He said it all. I was probably <laughs> the limit of his writing ability. That was the only thing we know about half Dan, the Varangian guard. And yet there it is on the walls of like right Sophia there. for centuries. <laughs> it's sublime. I mean, so I think I I think part of the reason that is I think I don't know. I don't know why that's at the front of my mind, excepting that. It feels to me a little bit like it feels to me like as winter becomes spring in the year of 2022, certain taps have begun to open. Like I think we've talked a couple of times about a, a about a real sense of turning, about COVID nineteen. Uh, kind of crunching us together and creating a new post-apartheid, really massive scale, national discursive kind of common trauma. I think in a way, the lesson hasn't been learned from that. It's not like most people think the government mishandled it, which it did. So it's not like there's a direct vote change or political sea change as a result of that. But more deeply in the, you know, in Jung's language, you could call it the, you know, the political or collective subconscious. In esteemed terms, you could say, in terms of, the, the memes that we rely on in order to bind ourselves by shared trauma, like what, you know, what is it we revert to? There's just more distance now between ourselves and older memes and, and newer ones. Um, <clears throat> the fact that the anti drop below 50% in the municipal elections, the fact that the kind of ramaphoriac moment had already bur burst and then double burst with these exogenous factors. The fact that the whole world outside has gone from being a kind of upwardly mobile, dynamic and interesting place to sort of one catastrophe after another, I don't know, 70% of dollars have been invented in the last five minutes. Japan is <clears throat> finally sort of abandoned abenomics and replaced it with like a, a, a very disturbing thing. The EU Seems to be a relatively solid ship, um, but maybe grinding. Huh? You said something. No, no, about I, was just, 
I was shouting. I was shouting to the other room. Bless you. Okay. Uh, there was a sneeze. You know that. I think that. I think. Put it another way. Someone. I was recalling, uh, in 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 speaking to a friend, when when I was in Manhattan and Brooklyn a decade ago. Dude stopping me in Times Square and wanting to take photos, tourists, and uh, on a few occasions, and I'd say why, and they'd say, "You're the, you're, you're, it's a hipster. We, you're a hipster. We found a hipster. We'd like to take a photo of a real hipster." I was like, "Oh man, I'm definitely not, not a hipster." <laughs> I don't know, but you know, okay, that was a meme, right? There was this idea about a look and a way of being and a set of values, kind of generational thing. Not sure what the, I'm, what is the latest instantiation of that? I look if you're asking about uh, you know who's someone who's on the cutting edge of culture perception fashion and all that I'm I'm really not the person to ask. <laughs> right, you're not, but neither am I. But that's not but that's not the point. The point is precisely I'm asking. Like ten years ago, you'd heard the phrase hipster. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I no, I don't know be, what the new hipster is. I happen to be in Brooklyn when that thing became a thing, but. What made it, it the kind of thing that I have in mind is the kind of thing where you—it's precisely what you know, even if you don't know anything about this stuff. Like, even if you don't know much about TV, probably heard of Game of Thrones because it was the most widely watched TV show in the world. So you maybe hate it, maybe love it, maybe you don't care at all, but you're like, no, there's something about dragons. Who knows? Whatever. Th- that kind of there are these there are these teams, these memes these uh, notions of collective identity. Or even meme teams, if you will. Meme teams. Meme teams. Esteem teams. Meme esteem teams. That uh, they float in and they float out. And and they mark. They both are responses to and causes of grand historical shifts. And the thought is that this is that the post-Trump, post-Brexit, post-Obama, you know, that that the world has really hit the rocky shoals. Like, I, I feel like people who were confidently predict R.W. Johnson confidently predicted the end of South Africa by 2022 in 2015. You know, right now, when I watch R.W. Johnson, he, like, says interesting things, but, like, even he doesn't quite talk about the future in the same certain terms that he used to. We at the IRR have been talking up the idea of a coalition government potentially taking over in 2024 and also been like, this is less likely to happen than the alternative. Uh, and even in 2029, who knows, you know, maybe by then you've got a stolen election in a, in a, in a truly failed state. It's like the, the, the memes, the, the, the trajectories going forward, seem even the aspirational ones like they need to be caveated with like this is probably not going to happen in a way that i just don't remember five years ago now it might be that i'm callow and that when i was in my late 20s and mid 20s the world seemed to make sense and it seemed like there was a direct pattern and it flows forward and it all is pretty legible it might be that in getting a bit older, I've learned more hip- epistemic humility. And so now when I look at tomorrow, when I look at next year, the year after that, I see a range of mostly bad options and uh, have an urgent preference of trying to 
rip the least bad one out of there and and find particular beautiful moments in that, but like amidst a general sea of frustration and despair. Maybe that's just me getting older, but I don't think so, dude. I think you have always been quite an old soul. And I think I too have been a pretty grumpy dude since my deep youth. And I just think that our, our stereotypical, the stereotypical age developments happen to dovetail fairly nicely with the, with, with actual history because we were born both of us around the time of the beginning of Pax Americana and the beginning of a new era in South Africa. And, and so the, the sort of sequences that those countries have gone through line up with the sequences that, that we've gone through. And in that regard, I kind of feel like right now, in this weird moment, more than ever before, I feel a conflicted attitude towards Puritanism. I feel like people who want to abandon their previous ideologies, their previous political commitments, their previous attitudes, and take up the new stuff. ANC ideologues, EFF uh, aspirants, uh, BE apologists, uh, dudes who've said, you know, corruption, is it really that bad? All kinds of people who... I just think of people I've known in the foothills of Westcliff, people I've known in four ways, you know, upper middle class South Africans who generally speaking have over the, over the last 10 years espoused really, really bad ideas and have kind of fought back against them, uh, fought to defend them at dinner parties and lunches and picnics and around the, so, like they're, movement through despair to forgetfulness to like a puritanical like i don't want to make any mark at all i don't want to remember that i don't want to record it i don't want a statue of it that makes sense to me i want to embrace that i want to celebrate that i don't i don't want to punish them by saying look like a dog who's made a poo in the middle of the dining room like shove the nose into the poo look at what you did I want to quietly scoop the poo away, toss it into the garden, and let that dog go about a new pattern of behavior that it's trying to adopt. Yeah, we can we can have name calling and recriminations after we fix the problem. Never. We can have them never. If you don't do it now, you're never gonna do it. But on the, right, so that is my impulse. Right now, I feel like seven years ago, fallism, rose must fall, fallism in general was a predominant force. There was hardly a, a week in a South African newspaper that you didn't read about it. There was hardly an academic conference or university get together or, you know, even a lot of politics where they weren't talking about decolonizing the syllabus, decolonizing the, the constitution itself. The same impulse, the same impulse to leave less marks, to do less, to be quiet, to have a to have minimalist design rather than maximalist design to be afraid of your own to, your own impression in the world to in that sense be afraid of yourself to be afraid of what you're doing to the world right now to me seems more healthy than it did before because it seems less extroverted and less violent and more introverted and more like 
Maybe this is quietly trying to move on. At the same time, I kind of feel like this is the fool's mistake over and over again. Isn't it crazy that isn't it crazy that we had the world's worst lockdown, creating the most unemployment per capita, destroying the most wealth, probably, definitely creating the most unemployment, having the fastest spread of disease with the most or you know, top ten most draconian measures. Isn't it crazy that despite all that, no one wants to talk about COVID-19? We were chatting with some colleagues, people who are in the news business, whose daily activity is to engage. Like, I can tell you 10 things this week that have come up that continue to expose new revelations. I got an, I got an email from a very respected professor or PhD dude of like a, a, a pre-publication thing about a kind of DNA footprint fingerprint that that might dispositively show that the virus was created in the Wuhan laboratory. I feel no motivation to go and write up that story. I already wrote the Wuhan lab leak hypothesis a year ago. First dude in South Africa maybe to write it up. You know, like I was interested at the time in the possibility, not that it's for sure or not, but I was in right now even I feel like, uh, who cares? Isn't it better? There were there were isn't it too complicated? at this stage to try and get people onto the same page because there were people because only, you know, shouldn't we just let it go from what I understand of the way that people reacted to the 1917 pandemic, the reaction was much the same. Everyone just wanted to forget. Yeah. It was like, no, we're tired. This is boring. It's annoying. It's we all got very upset about it for different reasons. Um, there are, although to be fair, there are a couple of crazy loons. Most of them, I think, live in about five blocks of Manhattan somewhere, uh, who think that we should all be, um, you know, in permanent lockdown or something like that. But uh, I, I, I very much think that that's a even even though those people are concentrated amongst a weirdly influential um, club uh, elite in New York, I think that. Uh, their influence is extraordinarily limited because this thing you're describing, this overwhelming urge to just be like, enough now. Let's enough change now, the let it go, change the subject. I can't, you know, I'm very, I'm very conflicted about it. And here's the way that I'm the most conflicted about it. I think that the greatest political impulse in South Africa is Puritanism in the following simple sense. I think most, obviously the biggest vote, and it's been a couple of elections now, the biggest vote is the no vote vote. Isn't that the most puritanical thing to do? I am, dude, I'm definitely better than the DA. I'm definitely better than the DA. I've met people in the DA, you know. We worked with Helen Zilla. She's fabulous. I'm not better than her. And when I say I'm better than, you know, what am I mean? I don't know. Smarter than or less corrupt than. Like I can think of individuals and individual humans and individual standards of analysis or judgment. And I can kind of pick anyone in the DA and think of some way in which I'm better than someone else. Like I'm hairier than that dude. I'm better at having naps than that person. I'm like less uptight or more together or you know just pick whatever <clears throat> cope who i voted for in 2019 breaking my heart breaking my yeah. sweet sweet heart 
in it, many little is pieces. Lakota because they, they were heading for some kind of massive. Um, I'm trying. Uh, I'm trying to know. I don't know internal conflict. Are they actually? Are, have they resolved it? Has someone won? <laughs> I mean, they still haven't fired their rogue counselor, who is now the uh, the sort of puppet queen of Johannesburg. Don't know. Don't know. Do care. Don't know. It's confusing. Dude, and I can go through the IFP. <laughs> Fires their mayor and him singer because he's been arrested for stealing, but hangs out with the EFF. ACDP, I like a lot of ways, don't like some of their policies, and so on down the line. So it's like the pure thing to do, the only way to keep yourself pure. If you don't want to dirty your filthy, your your your, your beautiful, beautiful hands, you don't want to make them filthy and grabby and nasty, don't vote. Or as, That's or as clearly a... the most popular thing to do. As a as a, um, uh, uh, a meme said on Twitter once, uh, no, it wasn't a meme. It was that account, that weird account at Drill, uh, who routinely posts strange things. Blocked, blocked, blocked. None of you are free of sin. Yes, <laughs> so, and so it is with our voting system. With I think so many of our votes. People always say if you don't vote, you can't complain. That is compare that to this. If you do vote. It's your fault. You know, Justice Malala has been saying this for years. If you voted for the ANC, you are the criminal. You're just the stupid guy who didn't actually get to eat the, the money. But you, you, you were the driver at the bank robbery. You know, I've never liked it when I've heard Justice say that. But I can't fault his logic. It's, it's, no. It hurts me. It's a true claim. Oh. That hurts me. Yeah. And if you voted for one of the opposition parties that didn't manage to stop it, it's also your fault. <laughs> you tried making a stupid difference. You should have made a better difference. You know, what, however, whichever. I think that I think that the only the Buddhist, you know, there's a kind of extreme Buddhist attitude of like it's all a lie. So you should so you should have less lie. Live less. Stop it now. You know, Nirvana is like an early suicide. Um. <coughs> Not a deliberate nasty one, but if you could somehow just forget to breathe, uh, that would be that would be super enlightened. Um, I think that I think that that is, I think that that's a beautiful idea. I kind of feel so much despair that I feel quite close to the beauty of that idea of like. After all, my favorite thing of the week was hearing a bunch of people say, "Look, we know that we're all going to disagree." You're Everyone thinks everyone else is wrong on 90% of the stuff, in a sense. Let's forget about it. Let's just focus on the little 10%. It feels like a good time for forgetting about it. Okay, whatever. Forget about the COVID nineteen. Forget about who you supported the last time. Forget about what mistakes you've made. Who cares? Who cares about right and wrong? Let's just let's just uh, let's just try and make it through another day. Well, there's a difference between caring about right and wrong and seeking to right a right or a wrong. And I think a lot of what you know what you're describing at that contest is not. Oh, sorry, the dog is barking. Um, oh, sorry, my dog's barking. <laughs> Dude, can I be honest? I first, I first thought that you had maybe had a rumbly tummy and you were blaming it on the dog. So he saved you by by barking. <laughs> There's no, uh, yeah, there's, there's no video feed for this podcast, but I would show you all the dog because he's an adorable old sausage dog. He doesn't normally bark. It's the first time he's ever done it. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, 
I think I think I think there's a I think bygones let bygone bygones let bygones be bygones is not the same as just giving up on right and wrong in totality. And I think that that conference had a fair, had a much more practical answer, which is mm. like, okay, well, you know, whatever, let's 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 start at A, and then if we can get to B, then we'll talk about how to get to C, and then we'll wait until we fall off the tracks. But at so, it doesn't matter as long as we get some way down the alphabet. That's fine. Yeah. Hit the next target. Yeah. No, I think you're right, and and I do. I do think that that is the, that that in the absence, it's so stormy, it's so cloudy. The world does seem, I don't know, maybe really, maybe it's just me, but I feel very, I feel very restricted in my ability to see, in a hopeful way, very far forward. Uh, so yeah, if you can only see to the next hill, then you aim for that hill, and that's where you go. Yeah. No, I, I will say, okay, well, I think you do have a within your soul a kind of you do have you do have a, a despairing romantic soul in some ways, and that you sometimes can see all the ways in which it's going to go poetically, beautifully, tragically wrong. Mm. Uh, and I kind of tend to be a short-term pessimist, but a long-term optimist, thinking, yeah, it's probably going to be kind of terrible, but in the long run, depending how far you are willing to look out, and that's the key is how far yes. you are willing to look out. Yes. It will at some point be okay. Yes. Uh, uh, we just have to make sure that it's not too terrible before we get to okay. And It'll I think be that's okay kind in of the like, end. And if it's not yeah. okay, it's not the end. There you go. And I think, I think, you know, with the feeling of how South Africa is going, I'm not confident that the country is going to do super brilliantly. And over the next, let's say, 10 years. And yet at the same time, I'm excited for change because we can feel it coming and something is going to happen. Something is going to change. Maybe for the better, maybe for the worse. And I don't know which one it is yet, but I'm kind of just excited to see because it's better than this merry-go-round of sort of the slow slide into oblivion. It's, Dude, I it's, don't think it's better. I think we're in for something worse. I think, not for sure, and I'm trying to... You know, we both, but I think the most likely scenario is something worse than what we're currently going through. I feel, I feel more now, and I, and it is why, why do, what has changed this time last year? You and I both started feeling quite bullish. I feel more glum now than I felt since the pandemic for two reasons. One is we had the worst lockdown in the world, no one's punishing. Punishing the the uh, those in charge for it. We've got the worst public education system in the world. No one's punishing people for it. I remember when I was a kid, not a kid, like, uh, just eighteen. My sister is is significantly older than me. Her peers, her peers that were early professionals, mid professionals. Um, I remember some of them saying to me. Uh, you know, we worry that the ANC is deliberately messing up the school system because it's figured out that the mm. less educated, the more desperate someone is, the more likely they are to stay with the ANC. And the more educated and the better off they are, the more likely they are to leave the ANC. And at the yeah, time, outside of, you know, outside of the ANC, that's a pretty prevalent view. I've come across that many times from many different people. Yeah. And I, you know, these were like mostly not white people who I think sort of 
kind of felt that in their personal lives when they if they were sort of hanging out with their city friends it was one thing and if they were hanging out with their township friends it was closer to their fancy pants banking city friends and then if they were going to go back to their rural friends they were feeling a different vibe but there was this kind of scale and it was like the worse off you were doing the more struck thunderstruck you were by by life's depravities the more likely you were to kind of cleave to the one true certainty which is that the ANC uh had a nice idea of of toppling apartheid and that social grants are absolutely necessary to survive and and then the wrong idea that they're the only guys are going to give that so it's a ama- it, it it's a it's a and the, and by the way, you know the data, the survey data, especially France's recent stuff, very much brings out the thought that this is increasingly the case. Um, th- that that you have like a, a rural, urban, and educated, uneducated, and uh, well-off, not well-off split, which which didn't have to be the case. Right. And it's not to say that poor rural South Africans aren't in many ways more conservative than urban, um, guilt-ridden uh, South Africans of all races, but it is to say that. There is something about a perverse feedback loop that is potentially there to play out. And I thought the COVID thing might break it, and it totally hasn't. It's just more of the same. And the other reason, and it's clear, and that is clear to me now in a way that it wasn't clear to me even six months ago. Because we are definitely out of it now. I mean, I heard someone got tested for COVID last week and we all laughed. Right. So there's a very slight bump in the uh, recording there because we got load shed and uh, Gabriel's internet went out, but we're back. We're back. Uh, and Gabriel, you were just speaking about how uh, you recently. A terrible someone. joke. Yes, yes, yes. Someone, someone, the joke was uh, so two people went to the doctor, one of them got tested for COVID. <laughs> <laughs> you get the punchline. So, look, I'm not saying. I don't. I don't want to. I, I was probably belaboring the point, and maybe load shedding has, has sped us all from that. But <laughs> what, one of the things, one of the things that I thought might change the day was the COVID nineteen VOB, and I'm sure that it has changed the day. But without connecting the dots between bad inputs and bad outputs, without figuring out what exactly the mistakes were and developing a kind of consensus around that, I don't think that we do any better. We spoke about this before. I think I recommended the thing. In order to develop a skill, one of the things you need to do is play the game more than once. To, and the more times you play it, the, the, the better chance you have. But the other thing you need is you need to have a game that you're playing that has some control and some feedback, positive or negative, depending on your controlled inputs. So you just can't get more skilled at playing roulette. You can't get more skilled at throwing a six with a dice. Says There's not you. enough control there. Yes, I do you say obviously so. Haven't seen, you obviously haven't seen my uh, my roulette ball throwing skills. Bend you over my <laughs> knee and thank you, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get skilled at playing roulette. You can cheat, but you can't get skilled. And that's the nightmare. It's like South African, in, in a bad media space, I think when people are getting really old and they start getting, and they start losing their minds, or when I hang out with my nephew and niece, like they are definitely persons for some of the time. And then some of the time, it's like, wow, that's not a person. That is a no full-on monsters. drug addict. <laughs> that is a human being that's had too much sugar or whatever. You know, people say that's a myth. That is a human being who hasn't had enough sleep, whatever it is. And we get that with each other 
if we, you know, back in the day when we used to drink deep into the night, there comes a certain point where you're no longer responding to your environment. You're just a meme. You're just like a, a, a mechanical spring or piston or, you know, there's there's something happening for sure, but it's much more like uh, uh, something gone haywire. What is haywire? You know, you cut a cable like a, like a, like a, like a lawn that's being watered by some hose pipe held by a child. And he's watering the flowers and the daisies and the roses and the grass. And then he lets go of it and turns the tap to full blast. And then the pipe is just flailing around <laughs> like a mad around, snake. Yes. There is definitely physical laws explaining what's going on there. But it's not a rational response to things. There's no skill. There's no learning. There's no skills development. You're not getting better at that. Uh, that's that's kind of the the way things go badly wrong. I think is there's some disconnect between what you're perceiving and how you adjust your behavior. And as an individual, obviously, you know, the, the archetype is you're crazy if you just keep banging your head against the wall and expecting a different result because it's like you you keep rolling the dice and expecting that you're going to learn how to roll the dice properly or spinning the roulette wheel and thinking you're going to get better at predicting where it lands. As a country, there, there really is a very serious sense in which a country is like a person. It does things. It, there are beliefs you can attribute to a nation state, beliefs about what's right and wrong. They're called laws. Uh, beliefs about particular facts, they're called judgments. Uh, and if they're not in the judiciary, they're called you know, the findings of commissions or the findings of magistrates or the findings of, uh, you know, basic bureaucrats. Bureaucrats have a belief about whether Nicholas Lorimer exists and what his identification number is. And the tax man has an opinion about what his income is. There are all kinds of beliefs and desires that we can attribute to the state. A certain level, agents are nothing but attitudes to action and attitudes to attitudes and attitudes to fact. And those same things adhere to a state. And if the state is not shifting its behavior in response to the facts, it's like a hose pipe flailing around on the, block, on the grass. And... And, and at this stage, it's so mad that I think the puritanical impulse to like, well, it's got so many mad beliefs. So many people have so many mad beliefs, so many mad commitments. The state has committed itself to so much crap. Just erase it. Just undo it. Just press control, alt, delete, end task. Like this is, you know, and this is where libertarians are great. You know, it's just like end task. Just abolish this thing. Just stop this function. There are many, many functions that the government is doing that it should stop doing, you know. You get asked on radio, what's you know, you've got 30 seconds, Nick. What's one thing the government can do to make South Africa better? Stop BE. There we go. Cut the red tape. B is the reddest tape. You can pick another bit of red tape. You know, I completely agree. Stop being just monumentally stop thick. <laughs> just, just you don't have to do more good things, just stop doing the bad things, right? Stop getting in the way. I'm totally, I'm totally with that, but. I think that I think that the same impulse to just stop just stop thinking just stop doing just do less be you know be a buddhist sitting on his bum like Haaland the new great sportsman of the world in that pose of zen 
tranquility. Although that is what we want South Africa to do in a certain sense, there's another sense in which in order to be reliable and reason-responsive and agentially coherent, you can't actually do that much of that. Otherwise, you do just become another kind of meme, a meme of, of ineffectiveness in another way. And I and my pessimism, the reason I feel pessimistic is I feel like where we're pressing control alt elite, where we're being puritanical, where we're like, ah, just drop it, just leave it, just move on, just be quiet, is exactly where it's not helpful to do so. And the two big points of not voting, I think there's no doubt in my mind the biggest vote in 2024 is going to be the no vote, the puritanical vote. There's no doubt in my mind the majority response to COVID-19 in South Africa is going to be don't talk about it, don't fetch about it, just get on with your life. There's no doubt in my mind that in order to get where we need to get in terms of non-racialism, we're going to have to go through a phase of, oh, I mean, I don't know. It feels like the outcome should be let's not talk about race, but the input actually has to be let's talk about race and and come to a different conclusion to the one that we used to come to. <laughs> And I just don't think we're getting there. I think where we need to be puritanical and forgiving and quiet and gentle with one another about the foibles and the mistakes of our past, I think that's where we're going to continue to be harsh. I think the coalition partners are going to continue to scratch each other's eyeballs out for every tiny little mistake they make. I think that they're going to pull each other like crap, like crabs trying to crawl out of a bucket to the top. They're going to keep pulling each other down. I don't think outside of the ACDP and the phrase front plus, I don't think any of the minority coalition partners are going to let the DA get away with being the dominant coalition partner. They, I think there's a terrible jealousy. Maybe Musi Maimani's got the maturity to do it, but I'm not seeing it from some of the others. I don't think that the ANC is, is going to avoid getting in bed with the EFF if they're in trouble. And I don't think if that, and I think that they're going to have the majority do that, to do that. And th that's so just the most likely scenario. And it makes, me, so it makes me grumpy. Here's why I'm so kind of, I guess, what I'm, what I'm, what sort of makes me think that uh, to say anything is the most likely is a difficult thing. I think that 2024 is going to be like the moment the cork pops out of a champagne bottle, and that suddenly everyone will, for but a moment, realize that a different universe is possible, and that means that everyone will try something. There will be many attempts to try something new. And some of those will be very stupid and very bad. Uh, and some of those will be really interesting. But I think that it'll be a little, you know, it's like when any sort of empire falls um, or any status quo that's been in place for a long time shatters, you know, you get this sort of vacuum. And even if the ANC, you know, if the ANC drops below 50% and has to go into coalition with the EFF, that is going to change so much in this country. Partly for the worse, because the EFF will then get them to triple down, because um, they've already doubled down on all yeah, the stupid like race that. nationalist stuff. <laughs> but also that the 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 uh, uh, there will be this real problem of sharing the patronage, and you will probably see ANC and EFF members murdering each other, sort of behind the scenes in a clandestine way, uh, to quite a significant degree. I just think that we're heading for sort of there's like a there's like a hill we're about to crest, and I'm just not confident on making any predictions on what the other side of the hill looks like. 
the opposition i mean i think we don't even know all the uh, you know all of the serious players for 2024 yet i think some will still emerge um and some of them may be quite small but that end up quite be, being quite important Decisive, how that's yeah. going to fit right no but uh, we and, can and, and nick let's not be too coy about this dude there's mohoeng mohoeng he might be barred from running i think he probably on the law should be I I can't say that I've read everything that I need to read to, so I might change my mind. Um, but he will, even if he doesn't run, be the sort of person who directs people to vote for that party. And I can see that party getting a lot of headway. I can see Mashaba doing well. I can see Musi Maimani. Musi Maimani, I'm told, or we've I've heard online on Biz News from France Cunha, is the second most popular politician in the country. I worry about whether he's like Hillary Clinton, super popular when she wasn't doing anything. The moment she announced she was running for anything, she dropped by 20 points. That's that's my suspicion. But let's say he does okay. It's very hard mathematically. It's possible, but it's hard mathematically to get to the point where the ANC and the EFF together get less than 50% because it means the ANC has to basically get less than 40 and the EFF has to get about 10, maybe 8. You know, If the ANC gets 39 and the EFF gets 8, there's still sort of AIC rounding errors of people missing the missing the block. Oh, for sure. There's still for ATM. Sure. So for the ANC to get 39 and the EFF to get 48, I can see that happening. I'm not saying it's impossible. I can – earlier I was saying I can't see the vision to hope. I can see the vision to hope. I can see beyond the next hill of the next, the next campaign, the next court challenge, the next news cycle to try and win and bring out the best. I can see – I can see small targets to fight for to give us a chance of being able to maybe win the cork, burst out of the champagne, get a lot of the champagne in the glass, or at least enough of the champagne in the <laughs> Enough glass of the champagne to keep it, going until the next round. <laughs> it doesn't drown the, the sort of mountain of babies underneath, three and a half million that are suffering from hunger. <laughs> you know, like I, th- I can see, I can plausibly see the route. I'm just saying, I think it's, I think it's super not the most likely route. I, I, I agree. I, you say you can't see what's the most likely. I can't see what's the most likely that's all, not, not 50% likely, but of the you know, plurality, like 30%, but just more than the rest. I can't see that being a good thing. Every time I try and think about what is the single most likely scenario, even if it's a 30% scenario and the rest are 20s and 10s and, and 5s, the most likely scenario and the second most likely scenario and the third most likely scenario seem pretty grim to me. Um, and I don't know. Why am I saying this? I'm just saying this because, because I think that maybe every, everyone's chosen their time to be like outwardly forthrightly pessimistic. Um, I don't know if this is the right time, but it's but it's definitely where my head is at, and I suppose this is a nice time to sort of try and think it out loud. I, you know, I've, I told you a couple of weeks just after the employment, uh, the expropriation bill was passed. I got phone calls from people saying, "Dude, I'm I work for an international company in South Africa. We're thinking yeah. of pulling out hundreds of millions of rands." I, we're sort of chatting with companies that are like. I, I don't know how to be honest. I know how to lie. I know how to lie. I definitely have been a salesperson for the IRR for for a year and a bit now. So, you know, I've got a sense of sales and I've never lied about that. Um, but I do I do feel like I know what it would feel like to say, you know, go South Africa. It's going to be great, even if it's not. 
I've never felt like saying you should definitely leave, excepting in 2018. In early 2018, you and I were both planning to leave the country. We were both oh, yeah. applying no, to international universities. That was a grim time. That was a grim we were time. both telling everyone that they should really be looking at plan B, building a plan B. France was – he wasn't just selling scenarios as a way of thinking about the future. Think about this. Think about that. Don't pick one scenario as the, as the necessary outcome. It could go this way. It could go that way. He was also selling scenario planning in the sense of like make your own life, have a plan B and a plan C. Make your right. life so that you've got the option in a year to do something very different to what you're currently doing because what you're currently doing might turn out to be hitting your head against a wall over and over again yep. and thinking yep. you're developing yep. a skill. That changed. That changed for both of us. In our personal lives, it changed. It changed, I think, nationally. As, as the new dawn and Ramaphoria exploded, things changed. As COVID-19 set in, things changed. As lockdowns came and went, things changed. As this thing receded into the background, but unemployment stayed where it was, basically youth not in employment, educational training rates actually increased. Inflation started to uh, climb up. You know, things changed again. The memes, the topics of discussion, the, the number of people that used to support the ANC that are actually coming out saying that they don't support the ANC. There's a lot of things that have changed. And we talk so much about those things. And so I'm with you that we are at a period of change. I just feel like we're losing. I feel like we're back in 2018 in the sense that, generally speaking, people are hungry for change and there's going to be change but we haven't actually settled the conversation about what the problem is the problem is still a personality or a brand a party it's not an idea it's not the root cause and that the root cause analysis hasn't been done in a memeified way for example when apartheid was coming to its close my sense of things in the 1980s and 90s but in particularly in the 80s it was not unusual amongst people like us, Nick. And by that I mean urbanized, fairly well-educated, deeply embedded in the news cycle people. It was not unusual for those people to know the following kinds of facts. To know that when apartheid started, people like Lawrence Gandar, under the name Oliver Vine, chief editor of the Rand Daily Mail back in the day, were writing from the beginning. That apartheid wasn't just wicked, it was also stupid. People knew from... The, there were two commissions in 1947 that came out. Two government commissions, right? On analyzing the plausibility of apartheid. And both of them said it's going to be very difficult to pull off. And one of them said it's going to be basically impos impossible to pull off. Why? Because of the huge rate of black urbanization. Jan Smuts came and spoke to the Institute of Race Relations and said trying to get rid... Trying to reverse the tide of black urbanization is going to be like trying to sweep the ocean further back into the ocean. <laughs> A bit inelegant, but I get your point. <laughs> he might have actually said it's like trying to sweep the sand into the ocean. It was something along those lines. By the time the 1980s came, that wasn't an unknown fact. It was a commonly understood fact. The, the, the heart... The, the lies at the center of the, of, the, of the white Afrikaner nationalist project were not mysterious to most people. 
what is the lie at the center of the transition period of the ANC? The lie, to my mind, is that the people's war did not happen. The lie is that the third force, that white dudes in black face paint, were behind every murder of, of an innocent uh, victim of political violence in the 80s and 90s. The, you know, Anthea Jeffrey, our colleague, exposes the lie, makes the case, records the evidence that over 20,000 almost entirely innocent, almost entirely black people, almost entirely apolitical people, 20 to 25,000, were killed mostly by the ANC in a series of acts of terrorism designed to get all black people to get behind one party to undermine the proliferation of the IFP, which was, you know, on disputable evidence, more popular than the ANC and Soweto in the late 80s, and so on and so forth. The, not just the IFP, Azapo, PAC, more radical parties, less radical parties, etc. The People's War, the notion of terrorizing most black South Africans into, into race solidarity, translating into solidarity behind one party. To me, that's the lie. That's the line that's perpetuated. Why are most people puritanical? Why, why do most people want to vote for the ANC, or if they don't want to vote for the ANC, not vote at all? Surely to goodness, it's because we're still terrorized. Why does the IRR find that 80% of black respondents don't like DISCM's policy? 80% would prefer merit to be the basis of appointment. We've not just found that in 2020. We found that every time we've done the poll since 2013. Before it was 20, it was 90%. And yet, you can scratch around... You know, on Twitter, most pe most black people are saying yay to Diskim. Most black commentators are saying yay to Diskim. I'm not saying that they represent the group. They don't represent the group. But why is a group preference not re represented at the at the upper echelons of the esteem game? I say it's because of an act of terror, a perpetuated act of terror that's never been accommodated or accounted for or acknowledged. And therefore, like like roulette or like rolling the dice, without intelligence intervening, without a conversation intervening, it remains uh, a mechanical process. It remains the case that an elite that has a very different set of values to most people kind of sets the tone. I don't think that, in that sense, there seems to me to be a very clear disanalogy between South Africa today at the potential so, fall of the ANC and I South think, Africa yeah. in the 80s. The lie at the heart of the Nationalist Party project was exposed. The lie at the heart of the African Nationalist Project has not been exposed. It is still the case that no. it is basically heresy in most places to talk about the people's war, just as a start. Right. So I think I think part of I think part of the problem here is that I think in a sense you are hoping for too much. The, the decisiveness of to, yeah. right. the, the decisiveness of apartheid's defeat, I think, is unusual uh, uh, in, in the way that these things go. But also, you know, I think at the end of the day, like just the way that people suck up to power is going to change if the ANC loses power. No, but I'm saying the ANC is not going to lose power. They're going to hold on to power. power. Yeah, well, so that's where the analysis comes apart. I think the ANC is either going to hold on, most likely going to hold on, or going to get in bed with the EFF to hold on. So I, so I guess the, the real difference between, between us is that I don't see those scenarios as being the same thing in a sense. That that is the oh, same as the ANC holding into power. Right. I think that the, even the ANC going into bed with the EFF is a profoundly disruptive and... Um, power dynamic changing event which makes everything like the ANC has just been this 
uncomprehendingly powerful, everywhere, looming, psychological, material, uh, physical force over our politics. It's just, it dominates everything. And if they have to go to a pipsqueak party like the EFF, which is basically the youth, the rebellious youth league, people who are seen by many, especially who vote for the EFF, as being the ultimate defiers of ANC will, to beg for help, and then having to divide up all of the delicious cookies that come from running the state with them, I think that that is going to create a profound level of instability in the... the, the I, di- I disagree for the view. following reason. I... Reading, reading the National Democratic Revolution when I was in high school in textbooks and when I was at the IRR by reading the Umrabulla documents, the mission, the National Democratic Revolution was always about the following sequence of events. First, you get democratic franchise, you get one man, one vote, and you get into power. You leave property relations more or less where they are. Then you start undermining property relations and you start ramping up slowly but surely um, race law in order to get demographic representativity and as you go along with that you need to make sure that you're not just letting random independently minded black dudes like Maponya like Richard Maponya <laughs> who you you need to make sure you get cadres who like the whole socialist NDR project uh, right. to get in the in the commanding heights of the economy and then once you get far enough down the line and this is in the Umrah Bola document explicitly in 2019 the biggest threat that you have is the black bourgeoisie, which they describe as the 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 lumpen the lumpen bourgeoisie, the nouveau riche lumpen bourgeoisie. You got to watch out for newly wealthy black people who are going to start liking capitalism, who are going to start liking free enterprise, who are going to start liking trade, who are going to start feeling demeaned by the thought that they only belong there because of government largesse, and who are going to start turning against you. You need at that stage to consider timing what you have to do is get more radical get more militant deprive the country of the vote if you're not assured of a hundred percent majority you now have the power to impose a one-party state you can either do it sort of like you know you can call russia a one-party state i disagree with that analysis but it's kind of model where you have sufficient hegemony hegemony that you're not threatened by any particular vote or you can be a one-party state like china where you, there's literally no law. You don't even, yeah, <laughs> you, you don't even, there's no pretense, nothing. You're just like, yeah, no, we're in charge. Screw you. You're not hiding your mistress. You're not like, oh, this is the nanny. You're like, this is the woman. Yeah, I your mistress and I'm wife are sitting at dinner together talking about like, who's, <laughs> who's going to look after you this week. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, I mean, that is the NDR. That's the NDR. And, the idea of the youth league accelerating things the whole point is like it becomes tempting to go too slow towards the end to to as you build up to that second leap forward because the second leap forward is going to break some eggs to make the beautiful utopian omelet in the same way that the first leap did getting the anc into democratic power required killing twenty thousand black dudes who were not political there's no one in the anc who likes that idea most people, you know, deny that it happened. But the, I know a couple who admit that it happened. And, I, uh, you know, okay, you've got to break some eggs to make an omelet. <laughs> no one likes the idea of, of some genuinely successful black capitalists who've done well losing out a little bit on their value or emigrating to Australia or the UK or America or whatnot. 
because they want to run away from the thing. But at some stage, the youth needs to come in with principle. Julius Malema is saying, look, if you if you want the land, you need to pre get prepared for poverty. It's a, We're going to go through poverty. Julius Malema is saying we need to murder racists. You know, I saw that woman. said she's proud to be white. To me, that sounds like a racist thing to say. Julius Malema, same day, said you should murder racists. Okay, there you have it. You know, like there's a certain sense in which revolution is not original. This thing has happened before. And it is built into the system that every ANC conference has reconfirmed for the last five decades. So, yes, I hear you, dude, that it's going to be messy and it's going to look gross. But in two senses, firstly, in the sense that the last, the best thing that the, the thing the ANC is the most proud of is when Mandela and Sisulu and Tambo took over from Kluma in the 1950s and 60s because the ANC had been banned and and humiliated by the Nats. And they said, well, we need to get militant now. And the old the youth league told the old guard to wake up and get serious. That's the proudest moment in the ANC. That's where their greatest and most fated leaders come from. For the youth league, EFF, to come and do the same thing again in the democratic dispensation totally fits the narrative. Secondly, they've been affirming the notion that we need a grand leap forward, as the Chinese might say, uh, in order to get to the last stage of socialist utopia. In every policy document they've reaffirmed for the last five decades, the EFF would be playing that role. So, yes, it would be tumultuous. I'm not saying that there wouldn't be opportunities within all of that. But the thing that triggered me on going back all the way to the People's War was precisely your reference to the, the fact of people being assassinated. No one cares. I can't find anyone who seriously cares about all of the assassinations that happened in KZN, excepting for Gareth Van Onsen. No one tries. You know, the or Jacques Poe, it, it makes for very interesting literature, but it's clearly not pushing the needle very far. If the ANC loses in KZN, it's going to be because they've abandoned Jacob Zuma, who remains the most popular ANC leader in KZN. It's not going to be because dudes are assassinating dudes. If the ANC and the EFF start assassinating one another, I don't think that shifts the needle on who votes for whom. That's the point that I'm making. I think that just accelerates the capacity of those that are in charge to use violence to monopolize their positions of power and ultimately to undermine free and fair elections. And I think I think I think it would though because I think at the end, uh, in particularly in that environment, uh, people are going to cling to order, and the idea that these that the ruling party is causing disorder will be the will be um, but a thing that accelerates their downfall. I just don't think that they're going to be able to hold on to this, the kind of hegemony that they've been coasting on for so long, even with the EFF's help. Most it's, people... not just, it's not just a seats in parliament thing. It's also like a kind of organizational integrity thing. The ANC in the late 80s and early 90s built up this very effective, truly national organization, at first in the towns and then later in the, in the rural areas. Uh, and I think that that has always been their greatest asset. And I think that's going to fall apart and is falling apart. And without Did that, I, their ability... Yes, but what replaces that? Most people in KwaZulu-Natal would rather that KwaZulu-Natal be its own country. I'm not making that up. I've seen the polling. Right. Most people in the Western Cape, or close on 50, mo actually slightly most, want the Western Cape to be its own country. As the ANC and the EFF start murdering each other and spilling blood and humiliating... Dude, it's not that the what fills the void of that organizational capacity is we've seen what fills that void. 
we've hung out with the people who love celebrating nothing more than self-determination in a, in a kind of anti-South African way. What fills the void, at least in large, in, at least in some parts, and on the polls, potentially the most popular part, is secession. Yeah, possibly. I just don't think. Uh, I just don't think it's all going to be that. Uh, I think. I think. Let me just put it this way. I think the NDR and the 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 uh, I don't know what to call them, the race nationalist side are actually surprisingly fragile, and they're going to shatter like glass when that when that time comes. Dude, I hope you're right. I look at the, I maybe maybe I'm despondent because I I spent too much time looking at the war in Ukraine, and I think to myself how easily this would have been to avoid, and and what was missing was international pressure. Is there any international pressure for South Africa to get its act together? I, uh, that is, I think, a very good point in your favor. It's the indifference of the world to what goes on here. And that is different to before COVID. Yes. Before COVID, we had... We had... Uh, we had the What's Brits, also different from the, the decisive defeat of, of, of apartheid, right? That was a really big piece. Hugely different. Mm. Indifference of the world. There's a major factor. Domestically, is anyone connecting the dots? Or are politicians actually benefiting? Dude, I think, I hate to say this, but I kind of do feel right now like Michael Beaumont is the most poisonous dude in South Africa of the week. Mm. I don't know this guy very well, but when I saw the way that the DA was taken out in Joburg and I saw his interview on uh, Big Daddy Liberty show, when I saw the way that he said things that were demonstrably untrue, the way that it was contradicted by the IFP, contradicted by the PA. The, the, it seemed clear to me, maybe I'm missing some facts and I'm being unfair, but it seemed clear to me that this guy was willing to sacrifice an effective coalition governing the city I'm in at a time when I was about to meet with the mayor with a hope of you know, getting the greatest art gallery in Africa back on its feet. You know, or at least making the case for how to do that and laying out the practical steps. Maybe I'm too close to this, is what I'm trying to say. You know, maybe I am. Yeah. But when I see the collapse of the Johannesburg government, right just when it still hadn't done anything good for me, but when I was hoping it would not been around long enough that it should. And it seems to me like there's one dude there that no one in this country outside of you, me, and a bunch of lobbyists know. You know? As anything, unless they do know his name, it's like, oh, there's that cool dude in his shirt who's like, you know, it's like, <laughs> I wonder, I wonder, are we following the ball? I haven't found anyone who knows who Floyd Brink is. Hmm. You know, I, I, I just feel like, I feel like I keep looking for the data points that if I were to tell one of my friends in America, I do tell my friends overseas in South Korea and whatnot. Like, you know, this is how we're doing better. This is how we're doing worse. I try and keep up to date with people. I try and talk about South Africa to foreigners, partly to learn about myself. Because I'm often very positive. I've been very positive when others are very negative. Because I've, because I've said there are, there are data points that are, people are seeing that, that, that aren't being tracked. And right now, like, the more I look back on this year, the harder it is for me to find a moment of kind of collective intelligence. Outside South Africa, I'm seeing zero attention. And inside South Africa, I'm just seeing a lot of, a lot of 
quietism, a lot of puritanical, like let's let's just give it up, don't be too harsh, a lot of forgiveness and slack arseness, exactly where I think you need to be hard arsed, and a lot of hard arseness, exactly where I think you need to be forgiving. And maybe that's me. I'm prepared to say that 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 in a difficult year on personal levels. Deaths and gloom and missed opportunities. Maybe I'm just gloomy and projecting. But, dude, it is surely to goodness the case that we are in a worse position than we were in 2018. Less international attention. A weaker middle class. More capital flights already taken place. More skills flights already taken place. Worse unemployment. Lower GDP per capita. Yeah, I'm, no, I I'm, think I think I'm, I think I'm that, grumpy, that I'm a grumpy dude. I think so. So so I think I think because we've actually gone very long now because we've actually lost track yeah. of time because we've uh, we had that break in the middle when our when the power went out. But <laughs> yeah, speak of things being worse, the power going out. Um, <laughs> more load shedding. There's kind of, more load shedding I, in 2022 than in and 2022. there's water shedding now uh, in the big cities and not just in the rural areas no more. But um, yeah, you know, I actually think that uh, that that uh, saying that we're in a weaker position than we are in 2018 is true, but I also think our opponents are in a weaker position as well. That is true. That is true. <laughs> and I guess the in some of the the difference here is that I mean, look, look, my cards on the table. I'm not buying any property until I know the results of the 2024 election. That is a rule I've set for myself in my own personal life, because I agree with you that there is a significant downside risk here of very, very bad things happening. But at the same time, I'm also not willing to just yet uh, let the despair eat my soul. And I'm not saying that you are. No, it's eating uh, my soul. Because... I'm, I'm fighting against it, but it's eating my soul. It is eating my soul. Um, because I just think that, I, I, I think, I think that, 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 you know, my, my analysis is that um, our opponents are brittle, uh, they're, they're, they're quite resilient and tough and they've been for a long time and they've been able to do a lot despite, you know, everything they've messed up. Um, but that things are going to shatter. And when that happens, everyone will suddenly pretend like they did with COVID, like they did with so many things. But they never really believed in any of this nonsense. What are you talking about? Of course, I just said those things because, you know, it's just what you had to say. As, uh, as, as Donald Trump said, about his business dealings with Hillary Clinton. That's just how the game was played. And that means that we're not heading towards a future where we solve the problem. That's uh, heading towards a future where we continue to muddle through with some of the problem. Uh, and I think for me, that is the most likely, a likely outcome. Not a, not a catastrophe, not a triumph, but a eh. Dude, if that's what happens, dude. <laughs> I, Bafana Bafana, you know, I don't know. When I was, the first scenarios I ever heard was like high road, low road, or Bafana Bafana, meaning. <laughs> Wait, it's all, you know that meme about the, 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 the astronaut and he's looking at the earth and he sees it and it looks like the state, the whole thing looks like the state of Ohio. And he says, Wait, it's all Ohio? And there's another astronaut behind him with a gun pointing at him and says, Always has been. I think. <laughs> The truth about South Africa, this is the thing I'm most willing to buy, is that it's always been Bufana Bufana and it always will be Bufana Bufana, and that's it. That we're doomed to that forever. And that's actually quite a depressing thought by itself. No, dude, <laughs> but I also think that, in a certain way that's fine. 
did I I've talked about that the Argentina's and I dude that is yes. right now you know Argentina eighth, eighth richest country in the world in 1900 just okay, slowly on the track every so, year so so we've talked about Argentina and how it's 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 a, it's a century of disaster but let me also put it like this Argentina still has I believe either the highest or second highest GDP per capita in South America so <laughs> I think it's the highest. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 No. You can see the same situation here, where it's like everything is going wrong, and yet it's still better than Angola, Nigeria, uh, Zambia, yeah. Zimbabwe, yeah. Yeah. Mozambique. Yeah. <laughs> did you? Did I can see that? I just did. At the moment, I can see that. I can see that on paper. I can't see it in my mind's eye. I can't see it with my heart. Uh, well, look. It just <laughs> we bet, look. We, yeah. We're gonna have more so opportunity it. to talk about this. Uh, and let's talk I about the lettuce for five minutes. Give us five minutes of the lettuce, and then let's. Yes, I think, I think, I think we. I think probably sooner than perhaps I'm thinking, we will maybe see the beginnings of of who of us is right on this one. Uh, I, I hope I'm wrong. I just wanna, I just wanna put it like this. Nietzsche. I studied Nietzsche yeah. when I was 18 years old. You know it's going to be a depressing thought when it starts yeah. with Nietzsche. <laughs> and, I, and I did. I studied that guy harder than any other mind that I've ever probed in my life. And I never talk about him. That guy said, blessed are the forgetful. And I know that that's to be true. There's not a relationship that I have. There is not a, there is not a history that I've read that doesn't depend at its heart at some level on forgetting something. And that is a bitter and very confusing idea to hold on to, especially for a rationalist, someone whose best skills are probably in the domain of being a sharp knife, not being emotionally comforting, but sort of being hard-edged and, and, and sort of noticing the difference between tiny little technicalities, splitting hairs and so on. Sometimes you got to let it go. <laughs> in the words of Screaming Jay Hawkins, let it go. And nothing like real, real, real pain. It's the most beautiful. Love that song. Love that song. But diarrhea, constipation. You've got terrible constipation. <laughs> <laughs> let it go. That is real pain. Let it go. you got to forget. <laughs> I'm totally have an intellectual respect for forgetting. If you forget the wrong, if you forget where you left your car keys, it's very irritating. You you end up you can miss the show. Okay, you go in with your girlfriend. Three weeks ago, she shouted you about something. Forget that. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Don't forget your car keys. That's all I'm saying. And 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 my fear, and it might just be a personal emotional thing, is that we're forgetting where the car keys are instead of just being a bit casual about like, okay, we had a fine, it's fine, it's over, here we go. Yeah. Tell me about the um, letters, uh, because the UK is not forgetting yeah, anything. Those guys sorry, are remembering. Sorry, just, okay. You, 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 there was one more thing I want to say on this. I know, no, please, I know I was the one who please. said we should move on. Um, <laughs> I do hold myself back on public platforms. Because I've never liked Action SA. And some of that is a personal thing. Like very much in the same way that Action SA doesn't like people in the DA for personal reasons. Which yeah. is the reason that I hold back. Because I think it's unfair on my part. But dude, 
on one hand, all of the fighting between Action SA and 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 the DA, there have been some very tangible consequences, and the two are the um, the the not appointing Johan. I think it's Johan Mettler as a city manager yeah. in Joburg, and the second one was blocking that um, uh, anti-load shedding infrastructure initiative in Tswane. Dude, these are. It is. Can I just pause there? Yeah. Imagine if if you could, you and I, dude. Hundreds of people will listen to this. That's great. I'm so glad. <laughs> there are millions of people in Pretoria. 1.2 million. If you could go to any Pretorian person outside of like, God damn it, some like mad, mad 1% and say, <laughs> here's what was happening in your city. There was a plan to load shedding proof your future or future proof your load shedding or whatever. <laughs> there was a plan to get you off the load shedding schedule. You know that schedule? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's very confusing. <laughs> we were going to do a new schedule called not load shedding. It's a, <laughs> it's a radical idea. It works like this. When you press the button, the lights turn on. You press the, <laughs> the lights turn on. Uh, that's, that's a bit sci-fi for me. But, but yeah, I'm listening. You pay the money and you get the electricity and it's every day like that. And we practically, we've been doing it in Cape Town. Our colleague Michael Morris didn't have load shedding for three years. <laughs> <laughs> the comment section went wild when, when he admitted that in the leverage. We're going to do that for Pretoria. It's not going to be no, no load shedding immediately, but we're going to ramp it It's going to be less load shedding, yeah. And we're going to get you there. But, but here's why we're not going to do that. Sorry, we would... We would we're teasing you. We're saying we're going to do that. We're not going to do that. We just want you to know we're not doing that for a different reason to the ANC. The reason we're not doing that <laughs> is because Action SA doesn't want us to do that. How many human beings in Pretoria are going to stay inside of the building that you've had this conversation in and resist the impulse to go? To go with flaming torches, yes. Or flaming... But it's so, the story, has the story gotten out? No. Yeah, is it going no, to no, get out? No. 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 It's a roulette wheel. There is no connection between inputs yeah. and outputs and control. It's just luck. Whether the story gets in or out, whether there's negative consequences, it's just luck. Sorry. So here's here's how I think that problem is going to done puzzle itself up. Because I really have taken, in my personal view, a much sort of harder line. You know, I was like, okay, you know, maybe I should let bygones speak bygones and not be so hard on these guys and, like, you know, see what they have to offer. Um, and I think this stuff has made me think, ah, no, there's, there's more, uh, attention on focusing on setting scores here than there is on other things. But I think the dynamics of our politics currently has a nice antidote to this. The more of this they do, the worse they get, the less important they're going to be in 2024. And the less of this they do, the more important they're going to be in 2024. So in a sense, I feel like the puzzle will done puzzle itself up. And you can see that by the fact that they've just said, well, we surveyed 30,000, I think it was members or something of our party. And we found that, you know, despite these rumors that we were maybe going to go into coalition with the ANC and, and, and you know, we are like all friendly with the EFF. Uh, actually, it turns out our voters, our supporters, our members, whatever, really hate that. And so we're definitely not going to do that because we're guided by our members. And now it's very difficult for them to go back. That was, a, that. Good, that was a good move. That was very yeah. good. And, and that's because they're responding to political pressure, which says, hey, we want you to be opposed to the ANC and the EFF. And the more you play silly buggers, uh, the less interested we are in supporting you. And they recognize that. And they recognize that if they want to be in power, they're going to have to 
bury the hatchet at least for now. I'm sure, and this can be the segue, I'm sure, however, that if if we are living in a post-ANC EFF world one day, maybe in 2029, every single member of Action SA who's still around is going to be like, right, like the Tory party of Great Britain, we are going to take out some knives and start stabbing everyone else and each other and them in the front, in the back, in the sideways. Uh, and, of course, the lettuce. So yes. I think this is one of my favorite stunts from British political shenanigans History. in the past yeah, maybe since, since the glorious revolution of 1688. Since the glorious revolution, this is number two on the list. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure some of you have seen this, which is number that four. the moment that Liz Truss fired Quateng, the, <laughs> the Daily Star, I think it was, put up a live stream in their office and they said, will this lettuce last longer than Liz Truss? We think the lettuce will go on longer. And they had the live stream, and you could see the lettuce very slowly deteriorating in real time. Desiccating just a little bit. Just a little bit, getting a little bit brown. But definitely, I would still eat that lettuce. Right. And they kept kept adding things to it. They added uh, a wig and googly eyes and all sorts of wonderful things to it. And, of course, in one of the most humiliating things to happen, I think, to a British politician in quite a long time, Ever since Boris Johnson got filmed being locked out of his own house by his angry ex-wife, uh, <laughs> he, Liz Trust did not outlast the letters. And it was so embarrassing <laughs> that Dmitry Medvedev went on Twitter and said, well done to letters. <laughs> that is, of course, effectively Putin's deputy in many ways, right? Or has been the yeah. president of Russia in the past. <laughs> Oh, Lord. <laughs> I cannot. If I was Liz Truss, I would buy a nice house somewhere far away from civilization and never talk to anyone ever again. Because screw it. What a disaster. She has smashed the world, uh, the, the British record for shortest lived prime minister. I think the, the second shortest was someone who lasted 112 days. And that was like in the 1820s or something. And Liz mm-hmm. Truss managed 45. Wow. Mm-hmm. No, not oh man. I, I like on one level, on the human level, I I really just kind of feel bad for her because I don't think she was a particularly malevolent force, even if no. she didn't make some very big mistakes. But on the no, she, on the she on wasn't the, yeah. Yeah. On the political level, it is so funny because <laughs> it's like watching Homer Simpson like blowing up the nuclear power plant through incompetence. You just have, kind of have to shake your head and go, oh, my word. No, some, some things you got to laugh about. When, when, when humanity ends, the only consolation is that we are, we are the only species ever to walk the face of the earth that's going to have a – someone's going to have a chuckle. Uh, or someone would. No, I did, did – and, and I, I think – I mean, I, the boring thing to say about it which is important and which I haven't heard anyone say, and I doubt I ever will, is if you want to cut taxes, you also have to cut spending at some point or you otherwise have to reduce the deficit. Now, we spoke last time. You you have to say it in definite terms. You can't sort of hand wave a way and say, well, you know, maybe maybe in the future we'll cut the spending. We'll cut the spending somewhere, somewhere, some, somewhat. You've got to earmark something that's going to be some mechanism, some method, some dingus. 
and she didn't do that. And and, and also, yeah. Donald Trump managed to. She was just trying to do what Donald Trump did. Cut taxes on the rich. It will have Donald Trump's trick totally works, in the sense that unemployment halved. It was fantastic. The economy grew. The S and P went up by seventy percent. Everything was going very swimmingly in exactly the ways that they predicted. And if you played it forward for another 10 years, they might even have been able to make the claim that the tax cuts paid for themselves, even though they were unfunded. Although the Reagan case, as you pointed out, maybe paid for itself 30% of the way. Economists are going to disagree. It's a hugely different world. I was trying to explain it to someone. I was in a bank today. (laughs) Do you regularly talk to people about British politics and banks? I was. I was like, here's how it works. I'm in a bank. I'm trying to get a credit card so I can borrow money to buy a house because even though I hate South Africa's future right now, I'm trying to buy a house. I'm the opposite of you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the funny thing is you're the one buying the property. <laughs> Maybe that's why you're so much more nervous. Dude, I can't think of a good reason to buy this property that's not emotional. I think that is part of the reason. Anyway, I was like, imagine. So the thing is, Left-wingers love saying, if you just increase spending, we're going to borrow to increase spending, but it's fine because increased spending means increased consumer price demand. There's more money around. People know how to spend money. They're going to save it. They're going to invest it. They're going to spend it on stuff that's more sophisticated. It's going to create new markets and endeavors, and that's going to, in turn, increase new businesses and supply chains, and that, in turn, is going to increase tax revenues, which, in turn, is going to increase the amount of money we get back, and that's going to pay for the increased spending. It's never worked. In the history of humankind, since Manyot Keynes punched the idea in the 1930s, it's never worked. The right-wingers like to say, we're going to cut taxes. How are you going to pay for it? No, we're just going to borrow money. Isn't that a problem? No, because you cut taxes, that means more money is left in the hands of uh, private citizens. Private citizens yeah, know how to ignoring- spend better than the government. And they will, as a result, create more businesses, create more savings, create more opportunities. Out of that's going to be more economic growth. Out of that's going to be more tax revenue. Out of that, we're going to get more money, even at a lower rate. It's like this. Coca-Cola is competing with Pepsi. Coca-Cola sells its Coke for two rand less. Okay, it's cheaper. Ooh, the guys are worried. Shareholders, how are we going to make a profit if we're selling for two rand less? Let me tell you, because we're going to sell a lot more Coca-Cola cans, because people are going to switch to that. So you sell less, but you sell more. Likewise, we're going to tax less of a percentage. We're going to go from 40% to 35%, but we're going to be taxing a lot more wealth because there's going to be more growth. It's going to pay for itself. We're going to be more profitable as government by having a lower tax rate. Has it ever worked? As far as I can tell, never. However, there are circumstances in which it does work momentarily. And one of them is if you've got a negative interest rate. If you're an FNB bank and their loan offering their interest rate is negative 1%. Then you go to the banker. You say, hey, I would like to borrow a million rand. He says, how are you going to pay for that? I say, well, you guys, FNB, as it turns out, is offering loans at negative 1% interest. So if I borrow a million rand, then every month FNB is going to give me 10,000 rand. (laughs) I'm going to be there to collect it. That is the interest payment. That is paying back the loan. For you to ask me, briefly in, in Germany, in, with oil uh, during COVID, when people were like, oil "You have to, we'll pay you to 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 hold the oil because it's too expensive <laughs> to keep it." We're pumping so much of it out, we can't handle it. There are rare moments where offering, if someone, if the Gestapo is coming after the Jew, and he's in the middle of Berlin, 
He's like, hey, I've got, I've got some jewelry here. Would you like to borrow it? You can keep half of it. Just give me half of it back. Okay? Then the idea that borrowing money is going to pay for itself is literally the deal. <laughs> it's not a nice situation. It's never going to last. That is almost the situation Donald Trump was in. And it's exactly the situation that a couple of European uh, fiscal managers were in in the last decade. It's not the position Liz Truss was in. Anyway, she was in she was in a very high inflation and therefore increasing interest rates universe. Yeah, no, that was that was yet another ingredient to this mess up soup. So yeah, when FNB is like, dude, we're gonna lend you a million rand, but it's gonna be 10% interest, you can't just say it's gonna pay itself. <laughs> <laughs> That's what yeah, but, she said. But, yeah, and 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 it and it and it was all made worse by the fact that instead of going down with the ship with some dignity, she took out the rifle and she shot her friend Quateng in the back of the head. And that that was really what was I think what 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 made it. What may, and, and that was actually when they did the letters, when they put the letters up. It was that specific. It was the firing of Quateng that made uh, 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 the Daily Star go, this is not going to Because he was me. the other guy. He was prepared to be a Puritan, forgetful. Yeah, where we, where are we going to put the curtain of ignorance? In front of our genitals, to be polite? No, we're going to put it in front of the interest rate. We are going to do <laughs> macroeconomic policy, pretending there's been no difference in the interest rate over the last five years. Even though it's gone up well, by an order the, of magnitude. I mean, the rumor is that he 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 encouraged her to be a bit more uh, restrained in what she was trying to do, and that she was like, "Nah, we're not going to half-ass any of this." <laughs> Dude, life is all about where you put the curtain, and they put it. They did a magic trick, like they did a, an actual magic trick. The curtain was in front of the magic trick. It was not in front of the mechanism that shows you that it's not real magic. I feel like that's the fool, you know. They put they they put the curtain in front of the dinner table and the toilet like she made a big poo with no curtain. <laughs> you got to put oh. the curtain in the right place. That's the key to living in a civilization and they did not get it right. And you know what? Good riddance to her and I'm very glad I hope that no one who ever wants to call themselves a conservative ever again makes that mistake. It's not going to happen because people forget things and it's so tempting. And I hate to say this, but I know many people in our circles that were completely enthusiastic about what she did until it blew up in her face. Because one of the sad things about living in a world where the government's trying to take too much and there's a lot of corrupt people is that you can make the opposite mistake of saying, Anytime more money goes into the hands of the rich, that's good. Right. You can be just as stupidly pro-rich as you are stupidly pro-government. Socialists and mad like tax cutters can both uh, dig the same hole. And the Tory party has fallen prey to this. And I don't think they're going to dig themselves out of this. I think they want to do Frankly, right now, well, two things. My hot takes are, firstly, Boris Johnson should say, bugger you and stay away from this. He's the only hope they have <laughs> of stabilizing the ship. And frankly, out of a vindictive sense of narcissism, I hope that he's the narcissist that people have accused him of being and that he prefers to go and snort cocaine and bang his girlfriend and his mistress and whatever rather than save the Tory party right now because they don't deserve it. Secondly, the EU 
is the fundamental winner, Quay Bono. Who's actually winning out of this? Labour's winning out of this. I think they might have won anyway. The European I see, Union. I, Mac Macron darkly saying things like, Great Britain needs some needs some political stability, and then I saw someone uh, make a meme of this, where it's sort of like a a, a William the Conqueror figure emerging from the shadows, <laughs> seeking if perhaps anyone... to restore order to the British Isles. <laughs> okay, two crickets in a thorn tree. Listening pool, please email me Gabriel at ir.coza. I bet you a case of wine. The EU and the UK tries to rejoin the EU by 2030. What has happened in the UK is the Tory party has collapsed as a result. I was anti-Brexit. The idea that, okay, whether you were for or anti-Brexit, now that it's happened, you should try and make it work. You got divorced. Try and make it work. You got married. Try and make it work. The idea that the vow creates a commitment that you should try and implement. Uh, half of the UK never believed that. Half of the UK was like, I don't care if we made a promise. Bugger that. They're still fighting. The other half has collapsed in its hope and its will. And, and, and they weren't the same as, as, as Tory uh, Labour. You know, they were disjunctive groups. But the way that it's going to play out politically is that Labour is going to take over when the next election comes. And they're not immediately going to drive for Brexit, but they are going to have the SNP driving for Scottish independence. The issue is going to be we want to be part of the EU. That referendum is going to be put off on the basis that we're going to have a new Brexit referendum. That referendum is going to go through. That'll happen by 2026, 2027. Then there's going to be an arduous process and eventually they will spend another series of hundreds of millions of pounds to reduplicate all, every chemical company that produces a kind of lubricant, every tire company, every car company, every law firm, everyone that needs to go through some kind of regulatory process is going to hire a new group of consultants and scientists and quantity surveyors and whatnot to show that their goods and services can go their bananas. The banana thing was always a farce, but they really are checks and balances. That you go through. Yes. They're, they're going to have to go through it all over again. And for the next decade with a little interregnum now, while it's all about labor and Tory, every debate in the UK is going to be about, are you for, it's going to be return or hell. Are you for hell or you are you for a return? <laughs> and very few people, they you know, Theresa May and I are a rare breed. The kinds of people who are like, you know, we didn't like this thing, but other people made a promise and we're going to try and make it work. Those people are a tiny breed. The Remainers who always hated this thing are going to be so delighted. And the Leavers who were like, ah, this was stupid. We were lied to. They're going to... The UK is going to rejoin the EU. The EU, in my opinion, has had a fantastic 2022. In my teenage and 20s, the EU never had a good year. Since its foundation, it never had a good year. First, it was the cattle crisis. Then they had several currency problems. Greece, for a million years, was a nightmare. The pigs countries, Portugal, Ireland, Greece, Spain, were a bigger problem. Grexit, Grexit, Grexit. No one said anything nasty about the EU in the last couple of years. Why? To their eastern flank, they've got Ukraine willing to fight to the last Ukrainian in order to join the EU. And to the west, they've got the United Kingdom exploding in a series of embarrassments because they left the party and Brussels reigns supreme. 
it's a look and by the way i like the eu i'm one of the few people who will make the case for the eu and the united nations mm. for, but right for, now for, uh, it is not working for, out very well for their neighbors and both for, ukraine um, and the uk are going to join the eu by 2030 and it'll be good for neither of them Well, that's your opinion. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I said, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is a sort of c c catastrophic. I, I know it's not catastrophic in the sense that you think it's necessarily bad for everyone, but, uh, I don't know. I, I think that labor has an incredible ability to mess things up. Uh, However, all I'm really hoping for is two things. One, that they don't choose Michael Gove because I think he is a treacherous weasel and he will stab everyone and everything in the back and he's just going to be a terrible campaigner. I don't care how clever he is. And two, uh, that Jacob Rees-Mogg keeps his seat and keeps his top hat. Yes, no, that's important and I like him and I like the top hat. Dude, but tell me how this... How does this not accelerate... Like if the UK doesn't, no, I'm, I'm, we're not going into it now because we're at like hour, hour, two hours forty minutes. <laughs> this is a discussion for a whole other day. Okay, that, but you can help me. We can talk about it next time. I've got a question for you. Yes. What do you think the chance is that the UK neither neither reverses Brexit nor splits up? Mm, I'd say fifty percent more. 50, more than 50 percent yeah not much more <laughs> but i would say 50 percent or higher 51 percent 52 percent i think the scottish nationalists are licking their chops i don't think the scottish nationalists are going to win the next referendum but that's a discussion for another day despite everything that's happened here uh and uh yeah because i think they they're 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 reaching their sell-by date in some ways because they've been in power too long just like the tories have been in power too long and when you're in power too long you get very thick. Accepting that they haven't been in power on the basis that Scottish nationalism is evaluated by. To a certain degree, but they are actually, they do run actual hospitals and, uh, and roads and things like that in Scotland. It's not like people's lives are not at all affected by them. And yes, they can blame this or that, but they also, there's like a limit to how much they can do that. Look, I think I, 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 I hope less – I'm a Dickensian revolutionary, you know. I call myself a radical centrist. I'm, it's just another way of uh, riffing off Orwell, riffing off Charles Dickens. Dickens said the most radical thing you can do is, like, be better at your job. That's the grandest revolution. Be a better father if you're a father. Be a better mother if you're a mother. Don't change the system. Improve things within the system. He, he was like, this is amazing. And that's why the – you know, although he made fun of the dudes running the orphanage, ultimately he's been celebrated by both uh, the elite and the working class for a century and a half in the UK. It's because he kind of um, found a way to, to make the argument for morality within any political system. And, yeah, I'd prefer rather than leaving or remaining or splitting the UK or not splitting the UK, I'd prefer people just behave a bit better. And they, uh, <laughs> pensioners that's, don't. That's far too much to hope for. <laughs> yeah, no, but that is that is literally, in my opinion, beyond reasonably expecting to be a 50% likely scenario. I think much more likely is that people misplace and project their, their, their own faults onto others and they, and they cut 
where they should suture, they suture where they should stitch, and they stitch where they should uh, tickle. Was, uh, <laughs> I, lo- I, 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 was, I thought you were going to say something like bandage, but uh, no, fine, tickle. Um, no okay, bandage. Have- I thought about saying bandage, and I thought, no, it's taking the metaphor too far. Let's shift gear. Okay, let's end the story. It's been a long time. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, I have to edit this as well. Um, okay. Recommendations, do you have any? No, you, 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 you. Okay. Um, I guess two things. One, we've, of course, you, it's very useful to us. We talked about it before. Um, 538's projections on the probabilistic projections on the American midterms. Looks like the Republicans are managing to pull it pull it out in the last couple of days, at least according to the polls. We'll see how that shakes out. But they're, they are, I think, uh, their chances are getting better every day. And I'm not sure... What will happen to turn that around? Um, so we'll see what comes of that. Uh, although at the end, I still think it's going to be pretty close, no matter uh, which party wins. And secondly, uh, I would recommend uh, this Forbes article about TikTok. Uh, Forbes says that it's been sent documents relating to ByteDance, which is the Chinese company which owns the social media app TikTok, which is one of the fastest growing social media apps in the world, uh, especially among younger people. And that this thing is, according to what Forbes has been uh, told, presumably I suspect by the CIA, because I'm very suspicious to get these documents, that TikTok is being used to spy on people, individuals, not just scrape data like Google and other things do, but that uh, it is actually being used as a tool of Chinese espionage. Um, Not a comforting thought, but anyway, something worth thinking about. Your turn. All right. Since you said espionage, I will recommend a story by John Le Carre, John Le Carre, um, about a spy, Swiss chap, it's beautifully written, suggested to me by my sister. It's hard, it's it's easy, it's, I don't know, it's so, it's like a classic grunter, it's like why grunter is great sometimes. I don't want to. I don't want to give away any plot points because I, John yeah, Carrey no, is really it's, good. It's, it's a spy novel. <laughs> it's not. No, it's not a novel. It's not a novel. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's an actual. Um, it's an account of a of a real person's life and of an interview and it sort of unfolds from there of John Carrey with this dude in Switzerland who was a soldier and a spy and a judge and. He gave up information to the Soviets and he felt very much like he was in the right to do so. He was somewhat uh, disgraced or challenged for doing so. But it it's sort of a yeah, it's just like a it's like a seven page uh, biography sort of written by a master of espionage novels about an actual um, fellow in the trade, tradecraft and uh, and the like. Being what they are, I think one of the interesting things is is sort of wondering whether the game's still on. But I, anyway, <laughs> excellent. Okay, all right, that's all the time we have for today because I think it's our longest episode. Uh, yeah, keep the flag of liberty flying, <sighs> even if you don't feel like it.